comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week on Out Now with Aaron Abe, we're talking top 10 movies of 2014. It all ends here. Tonight? Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, friends! Out Now is a film podcast with Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something else, and this is it, guys. This is like the Super Bowl of podcasts for us. The wrap-up! Yeah, this is the top yeah. ten of 2014. And I'm not even naming it a bonus episode. This is, I'm just calling it episode 176. 176. We did it. 176 for the year. Yeah, we really, really wrapped it up nicely. So <laughs> nice little bow. Yeah, and uh, joining us to discuss our top 10 films from 2014, we have from Fast Film Reviews, Crawling Through the Night in a Grand Hotel, it's Mark Hoban. Hi, everyone. And from Cinemaxwell, back from training his wild snowcatcher, it's Maxwell Haddad. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, happy indeed. New how, are you, year. how are you guys doing? I'm doing I'm really good. well. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have a happy, happy New Year's? It was very nice. Yeah, it was understated and enjoyable. Great. That's, That's the best. Yeah, it really is. That's like the two things I try to hit, and I hit it. As, so. Yeah. As I move into my 30s, I'm just like, yeah, you know, understated but enjoyable. Pretty good. Yeah. I'm not quite 30 yet, but still I feel like I have the, the mind of someone in his late 30s, so I just like to like sit at home, glass of wine, board games. Good to go. Yeah. All right. Well, I, fi- yeah. I, was, I figure I'm still here, so that's good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's perspective for you. I'd like to wish all of our listeners a happy New Year as well. Thanks for sticking with us with this show, as we you know we do like doing it. And uh, this is this is going to be a fun one because we're going to go over our top ten films of the, of the year. Yeah, I have to say uh, this. Uh, you know, this is I think the third year in a row I've been honored enough to take part in this, and I really genuinely look forward to doing it each year. So it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me. For, for sure. Sure, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I feel like you know there could be any number of people on the show to talk about their top 10. So I, I'm like, you know, touched that I was asked. You know, we don't, we don't like to play favorites on out now, but sometimes <laughs> you just have to say, suck at Jordan. I, mean, I don't know. I am kidding. Uh, I love Jordan Grout. He's a good friend of ours. Mr. and Mrs. Grout are displeased with us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we're happy to have you guys on. Um, and we, but beyond having just you guys, we have plenty of surprise guests basically phoning in some of their top 10 lists as well that'll be sprinkled in throughout the episode so that should be a lot of fun but before we get underway with things let's do a few announcement stuff first well really only itunes abuser ratings it's good to get those it helps out our show helps other people find our show um it's you know really simple you log on itunes you search out now with Aaron and Abe, or just out now and you pretty much find it right there you log in there you go to the little star rating section you add a star and then you maybe even write a sentence or something and it's Really simple and really easy and helps us out. We got a new review, actually, pretty recently, Abe. This one is from Craig D. It says, Aaron and, Abe are, Aaron and Abe are awesome. Very professional podcast, as is all of the HHWLED productions. The hosts and various guests are extremely well-informed movie experts, and I love staying up to date by listening. Keep it up, guys. Five stars all day. Thank you. <laughs> all Craig day. Craig D. All day. A.D. A.D. 
MVP of the season goes to Craig D. There you go. All day. So, yeah. <laughs> Helps us out if you go to iTunes and just give our show a little little push. And uh, with that, let's move on now to a real quick segment of Out Now Quickies. TM. Each week on the Quickies. That's how quick it is. What was I'm telling that? you. It was super what quick. What was that? That was that super was... quick. No. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah quick as ever. I'm telling you. That's how quick it had to be. Yeah, you're you're like yeah, you're like Quicksilver. I I know. You play when people slow down this podcast, when they go through the motions of finding out how <laughs> Ultra, to Ultra extra slow mo yeah, three. You'll hear three. how I said it exactly the right way. Oh, With that no. in mind, the only reason I'm doing out no quickies is because we wanted to have Maxwell on when we talked about Into the Woods a couple uh, last week. We did. Last uh, week. With Mark yeah. and I. And um, unfortunately, Maxwell was not able to make it. But he's here now, so we figured, why not have a quick revisit on Into the Woods? (laughs) I'll let you know how Mark and I stand. Basically, and I think you already know this because that's why we wanted to do it together to begin with. But basically, Mark and I, we really enjoyed the first kind of half of the movie. And then we're not too into the second half when things get a lot darker. It's not necessarily because it gets darker, but because, well, Mark just didn't stop liking the characters after that point, and I just kind of felt the energy drained out of the musical. Mark, was that fair to say? Yeah, and it it just didn't feel organic. It just sort of was like, okay, we need them to be subversive, and so they just did it without really attention to making the characters the same people. Now, with that in mind, Maxwell, what are your thoughts on Into the Woods? Um, Okay, I'll I'll say a couple of things. First of all, what I what I'll start by saying is I am a big fan of the the source material. It's one of my favorite musicals, and I am a big musical theater fan. Um, so you know, whenever someone is a fan of something, they can either approach an adaptation of it one in two ways. Either they're just going to be so excited that the thing they love is being adapted that they're just going to love it no matter what. But to be honest, I was relatively skeptical about this adaptation, both because Rob Marshall is not a very good filmmaker. And also because I was a little worried uh, about Disney uh, watering down the source material too much. So that being said, I want to say one other thing before I give my thoughts. And that is, I won't uh, deny that there is a, a bit of a harsh juxtaposition between the two pieces of the film. And that juxtaposition is quelled on stage by having an intermission. So the musical is two acts. The first act sort of ends where you would call it the happy segment. You have 15 minutes, you go to the bathroom, you buy a glass of wine, whatever. And then the second half is much darker uh, and uh, more melancholy. And that works because it's almost, you know, when you see a play or a musical and there's two halves, it's, you know, it sort of starts over, it's a fresh start, there's a new beginning, middle, and end. That all being said, while I do certainly understand what you're both saying, um, I think the film did a pretty good job, not great, but pretty good job of handling the transition, all things considered. Um, and I think that last 30, 40 minutes is sort of vital towards selling the message of the film, which is that there are no fairy tales, there are no happy endings, and it covers the loss of innocence of all these characters who we've traditionally known to have their happy endings well. I do enjoy the first half of the film better. It's it's wittier, it's, it's more enjoyable. But I didn't dislike the second half, and I think as a whole, the piece works and sells the message that I was worried that the film wouldn't sell because it's a Disney production. Now, I've seen it twice now. I saw it again the a couple days ago because uh, my friends wanted to see it. And it's like, I, I saw it, I, so I saw it the first time like on December 1st, so it's been a while. I've had a, I've been a while. I've had a chunk of been time. Been a while. I've had a chunk of time to, <laughs> in between viewings, so I didn't feel too much like, oh, I just saw this. I can see, I can see how they tried. I, I get that, and it's like, it's not that I... Because I don't, I don't dislike what's going on in the story. I just still, I still think it just, I still think all the energy's just gone from it. And I, I, I'm not saying that it's because it's dark that, that I feel that way. I just feel like the, 
it just fe- it just feels long once it starts going. And I- the thing the the through line that really kept me hooked was <clears throat> excuse me was James Corden. Um, yeah. I was highly impressed with his performance. Obviously, I, I like him. I've liked him since his uh, British TV show Gavin and Stacey. He was in the History Boys. You know, mm. he he's an up and comer. Um, he's about to hit it big with this talk show. But um, I was not too familiar with his his um, singing. Um, and he hasn't had an opportunity to sort of carry a film. And I really feel that he carries this movie. Um, and I think because I cared so much about his character, um, I was able to stay with him when it shifted. Yeah, we we both sp- supported both James Corden and uh, Anna Kendrick. Uh, their performances as well as their singing, they were definitely a, a high point for the film uh, for both of us. <clears throat> well, the real surprise of the movie is Chris Pine. I mean, who who knew that was coming? Right. I mean, he's Why just not- a- delight <laughs> that song agony is ah, hilarious yeah that's easily the best <laughs> aspect yeah of it, it's always one of the the best scenes in the musical too and um if are you guys familiar with the the stage play at all they're no just, they're just after mm-hmm. so one of the things that they cut is in the second act there's a reprise of agony wherein prince charming and the other prince leave uh cinderella and rapunzel for uh snow white and sleeping beauty See, like, I want this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a. Yeah, you've got to go see the stage production. Well, if, um, there's a, a really good Blu-ray of a of a production of it starring Bernadette Peters as the witch that you can. Oh, I actually think it, it's on Amazon streaming too. I highly recommend it. It's very good. I may check that out at some point, but yeah, that's fair enough. All right, I just wanted to, I wanted to hear your perspective on it because I only. No, 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 yeah. you know, and I hope I was you know fair and balanced and not just gushing about it because I do see your guys' issues. I just don't necessarily. Um, share them as intensely, or did they really detract from my overall enjoyment of it? So that was on a quickie. Jim. Okay, so now let's move into it. Let's get to the the big the big chunk of the show here. We're gonna go over our top ten films of 2014, and to kick it off, I'm gonna jump over to a previously recorded segment with Forbes' own Scott Mendelson. All right, um, I have Scott Mendelson with me from Forbes, and uh, he's now gonna name his uh, favorite films of the year. The Fault in Our Stars, Selma. Whiplash, How to Train Your Dragon 2, and Nightcrawler. All right, great. Thank you very much. That's it. With that out of the way, let's um, let's move into it, guys. Let's uh, let's do our let's get to our number ten. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I was pausing for. <laughs> I was like, is there an audio clip? Why would there be? Uh, let's get to our number ten. So let's um, let's start reverse alphabetical and let's start with Maxwell. What is your number ten film of 2014? All right. Uh, my number 10 film is Pride, directed by Matthew Workus. Um, I actually didn't know that he had directed this film before I went to see it. Uh, and had I known, I might have been even more excited because he is a very prolific director of the stage. Um, he directed Matilda the Musical, The Norman Conquest, La Bette, uh, God of Carnage, and on and on. For the past 10 to 15 years, he's been one of the best stage directors and a guy whose work I admire greatly. And one of the things I like so much about Pride is he translated that um, great energy he captures on the stage to this film. This is a really joyous, uplifting film, which are two qualities that I think are rare when it comes to films that deal with LGBT issues. Um, uh, The film is uh, sort of about um, gay pride and uh, tying that into the uh, noted 1984 miners' strike um, in England, which was covered in the film Billy Elliot, and this is actually a distinct uh, thematic cousin to that film. Um, And what's so great about this movie is that 
um, throughout its two hours, it not only tells this very um, moving story about two drastically different groups of people coming together to support each other, but it also manages to capture a variety of different um, uh, uh, gay and lesbian characters and the different plights that they they suffered through uh, in in the 80s in England. And I thought it did a really nice job of developing these characters and showing all these different perspectives. Um, it's funny. It, it it moved me. It's a crowd pleaser, and I know that that can sometimes be a dirty word, but I, I felt in this case it, it, it it's for the best because it really you know sort of overwhelms you and, and makes you feeling very prideful at the end. Um, it was a surprise for me, and I, I really, really liked it. I, uh, I particularly enjoyed Andrew Scott's character, Andrew Scott, who's best known as like Moriarty on the BBC Sherlock series. Ah. I thought he did a, a good job of what he was given, among the other many talented members of the cast. You have Patty like McNulty there, and yeah, McNulty, Dominic West, is who has like, you know, one of the show-stopping scenes where he dances with everybody. Yeah. And, um, oh, nice. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed the film. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it as much as um, Billy Elliot or even The Full Monty. The Full Monty, which I love, by the way, but... Um, I certainly, I certainly, I agree with you that it is a crowd pleaser. And I don't look at that as a dirty term. I think that's a great thing. It's like, yeah, I want audiences yeah, to be I, happy. I, yeah, I do too. But you know, uh, you know, I, I read some stuff about it that sort of held that against it, which I don't understand. Yeah. But yeah, the the cast is great. You have like Imelda Staunton and and Bill Nye representing the oh. sort of elder uh, British actors, and then you have all these newcomers who are so terrific as well, like Andrew Scott, like you mentioned, and um, I can't remember their their names, but the the actors who play Mark and and Joe, yeah. who bring this sort of youth exuberance to it and that's what i like you sort of have the you know you see both the the older position and the younger position and you get that flavor of what it's like to to be gay and and the various struggles that come with it and i thought the film handled those issues with a lot of respect uh, mark ashton was played by ben schnetzer was the name yes, of the actor and, and he's actually american which yeah, is a surprise I, I have to uh, say I, I love this film as well. Um, it, I thought it was it was a crowd pleasing film, but it, but it was constructed in a really interesting way that it engaged the emotions. And uh, Imelda Staunton and Bill Nighy are really good. Like I thought yeah. they gave really great performances. I mean, and it's hard, you know, everybody is really good. They're all, everybody's giving like a, um, a, a good performance, so it's kind of hard to really single out any one person. Yeah, it's but, just like a really like harmonious ensemble Th those two are kind of the elder statesmen of the group though yeah. so i you kind of like see them and and you say oh yeah i've seen them before and and even dominic west is you know yeah he's kind of unrecognizable though i he yeah, looks he has a perm and he's blonde <laughs> he's so he was so good but yeah he's he's like i was like oh my gosh that's dominic west this also this movie inspired me to do research and study the era and the history of this uh, struggle and everything and I, I always love it when movies inspire me to do that sort of thing yeah well, and uh, one final thing i'll just say is um the producers like the story so much they're now considering turning it into a, a musical with this the same director attached to bring it to the stage well, there you go nice all right with that said uh, let's get to mark now mark what is your number 10 film of 2014 so my number 10 film is Foxcatcher, and this was a very disturbing character study about uh, John DuPont, who was part of the DuPont family, and he had this interest in uh, wrestling, and he contacts uh, essentially uh, Mark Schultz and, uh, and then and David, well, David Schultz first, and, and then also Mark Schultz, who were wrestlers, and wanted to kind of support the Olympic team and, and get involved in this arena. And I just thought, it's a very dark film. Uh, it it's very subtle, 
And it's not a, I, I don't think it's a film that's easy to like, but I think what it does very well is it sort of uh, lays bare these three, these essentially three personalities that the film is studying. And you, you get three outs, really outstanding performances um, uh, from the, the three principals. Carell, Channing, and uh, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, right, exactly. They're, I thought they were really good. And there's sort of a, a it's, it's sort of very unfolds very carefully and you, you don't kind of, it's sort of insidious the way that it, it starts and then layers are kind of revealed as you watch the film. And it, it sort of hints at things that aren't even ever explicitly said. And I like it when a film does that. And it, it's uncomfortable. In, in fact, uh, this John DuPont character that uh, Steve Carell plays is a very sort of disturbing person. And it's not quite clear at first how disturbing until you, you sort of, well, I mean, by the time you get to the end, you, you realize it's, it's, he, he's quite un, unhinged. But, um, but even throughout the course of the film, there's, there's moments. And uh, it's, it's better to really experience the film than, and I, than for me to detail like scenes and stuff. But there's a lot of dialogue. I thought it was really, really well done. Great. All right. Let's move on to Abe. What is your number 10 film? Number 10. Number 10 is Gone Girl. Gone Girl is a crazy movie. Amy, who are you? A, I'm an award-winning scrimshander. B, I'm a moderately influential warlord. Hmm. C, I write personality quizzes for magazines. Okay. Well, your hands are far too delicate for real scrimshaw work. And I happen to be a charter subscriber to Middling Warlord Weekly, so I recognize you. I'm going to go with C. And you? Who are you? I'm the guy to save you from all this awesomeness. Uh, and I like the way that the movie just toys with you in terms of the, the way that it's told in terms of perspective and the way that it kind of just leaves you unsettled to some degree because uh, toward the end of it, you are kind of in fear to some degree um, in terms of what's going to happen to a certain character and maybe whatever happens to the rest of them. Uh, but no, I mean, Gone Girl was expertly directed. I think it was well acted by Rosamund Pike. I think that she deserves a lot of credit. Uh, she's been making these like... Here and there movies, like, you know, Jack Reacher, I think that she's a pretty solid actress. Ben Affleck, good on you, sir, for choosing and choosing movie roles that you think are going to make you, uh, you know, more acclaimed. But again, I like Ben Affleck in this movie, and I thought that he was going to be a pretty good Batman, solid Batman, Bruce Wayne, I should say, um, just because of the broodiness of it all. But I just really, really like the way that the story kind of uh, it sort of entangles you and then allows you to think about, you know, what might happen and then it it does a good, pretty good job of explaining a lot of it. So, uh, Gone Girl is my number ten. Right. I know some of these we'll probably hear again, so we can probably speak more or less about some of them, um, which is a good example for my number ten, which I know will be mentioned again later on by most likely all of you. And it's the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, this is the Wes Anderson film that came out all the way back in March, um, but certainly stuck with a lot of us, and which makes me happy because that kind of reflects on where it's going to land and come award season. We've already seen it pick up a lot of, you know, steam in that regard, and hopefully that leads to some more than just a screenplay nomination for this film because I do think it has everything Wes Anderson does very well. Having a great ensemble cast, it's very cleverly written, it has wonderful production design, wonderful just art design and cinema, everything about this film, just the way it comes together. Anderson has just been 
he's been doing, I mean, after the Afternoon Rise Kingdom and Phantasm Mr. Fox, I mean, he's just been, I've, I've, I've always, I've liked every single one of Wes Anderson's movies. And, and right now he seems at a point where he's just at this high level of confidence where he can just, whatever he, whatever he puts his mind to, it just turns out pretty amazing. And Grand Budapest Hotel is just another example of that. You have Ray Fiennes here, who's giving this pitch perfect performance as, as a concierge who's so familiar with, <laughs> with not only the hotel, but the various older guests that stay there <laughs> and adding that to this kind of madcap mystery comedy adventure story with a layer of drama and sadness to it like all these things just come together so so well i um, have seen grand Budapest hotel a lot at this point and much like other anderson films i'm sure i'll watch it a lot in the future as well and so that is my number 10 film the grand budapest hotel if that's number 10 i mean <laughs> I, wow your list must be crazy <laughs> This is the one I struggled with putting on the number 10. It was like, well, I'm going to watch this more than everything else that I want to put at number 10. So there. All right. Let's move on now. Let's get to our number nines. Number nine film. Maxwell, what is your number nine? Okay. <clears throat> My number nine film is Ida, uh, directed by a Polish filmmaker named Paul Palikowski. Um, you may know him from a film he did back in 2004 called My Summer of Love, which was the first time I ever saw Emily Blunt uh, in a film. Um, Ida's a really really beautiful black and white film that shot an academy ratio it has a sort of distinct stillness about it the framing the camera i don't think moves once throughout the entire film and that because of that the the static framing is is so deliberate in what you're seeing and and the angles of it um and and it's a story that really connected to me personally um there's sort of a a revelation about the, the the main character that I don't want to, to spoil um, for the viewers who haven't seen the film, but uh, it sort of um, made me connect with her in this film on a very personal level. Um, on top of that, it's sort of between um, Ida and her aunt, um, it shows two portraits of women coming to terms with uh, Poland in a post-Holocaust state. Um, and through... Uh, you know, mostly through what's not said and through what's seen, the film captures more about that topic than many other films I've seen. And it has this sort of combination of deep, deep pain and sadness. And there's also this, like, this sort of, like, understated light about the possibilities and potential of the future. It's just a really beautiful film. It's, you know, at 85 minutes long, it, it tells so much in a short amount of time. It's just really, really wonderful. The best thing I've been saying about Ida is that it's currently on Netflix streaming, and it is only like 80 minutes without credits. So there's just, just watch it. <laughs> just, just try it. <laughs> yeah, like, I even agree. If you, even if I mean it's a black and white foreign film. Oh my god, I gotta read, and it's nose color. Whatever, just try it. <laughs> it's 80 minutes. Like that's that can't be too much to ask. So. <laughs> uh, Mark, what is your number nine? So my number nine film is Enemy, and this is a Jake Gyllenhaal film. Very mysterious. It starts out with a quote, chaos is order yet undeciphered. And the film is a very confusingly twisty, but oh so stylish ode, almost to like David Lynch. It's something that you can't even really understand. And it has to do with this guy who is watching a film one day and he discovers an actor in the film that looks suspiciously like himself. I mean, identically. And so he goes to sort of research this gentleman and he actually gets to the point where he actually meets him. And the way the film is filmed, it's very 
stark. The set design is is simple. Um, the color palette is sort of almost kind of champagne hued. The cinematography, the score. I mean, every minute of watching this film is was a delight. And it, by the end, I really didn't even know what I had witnessed. Uh, there's a, a, a sort of a WTF ending. And I think it will irritate some people and others it will completely enchant. And obviously, I'm in the latter category. I, I totally dug the film. I, 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 I was eating everything that uh, Dennis uh, Villeneuve was putting down. I thought it was a really interesting film. It's definitely something to discuss. And I think there are multiple interpretations for the film. And it was just probably it's one of the things I really enjoy about independent film is these risks that films can take. And this film definitely takes a lot of risks. It's not something that you've seen before. And again, some people will hate it for that. But I, I totally loved it. I loved it too, Mark. I was a big fan of anime. I think it's streaming on uh, Amazon Prime. If it is, go for it. You should go see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like in that Amazon money, which we're not getting. For sure. Um, Abe, and, uh, yeah, but... I just want to say, I think, and we'll get to this later, but I think Jake Gyllenhaal had a phenomenal year. Oh, yeah. Well, well oh, yeah. Yes. I think we all know that we'll get to this later. <laughs> <laughs> um, Abe, what is your number nine film? My number nine film of the year is Whiplash, or as they call it in Stewie land, Whiplash. What's your name? Andrew Naiman, sir. What year are you? I'm a first year. You know who I am? Yes, sir. So you know I'm looking for players? Yes, sir. Then why did you stop playing? Did I ask you to start playing again? Uh, sorry, I asked I why orders. you stopped playing, and your version of an answer was to turn into a wind-up monkey. Sorry, I thought... Show me your rudiments. Yes, sir. Double-time swing. No, double-time. Double it. But uh, this is an intense and incredibly brutal and emotional, emotionally taxing movie for the characters. And uh, what I loved about it is just how relentless it was. And it kind of just basically holds no bars back. It was about this uh, music professor that, you know, is super intense. He only wants the best and the brightest. And then there's like a student who's really, really willing to do everything that he can to be the best. And uh, what I loved about it is just that at the, at the end of the movie, I just wasn't sure if there was a, a victor per se or if there was uh, some sort of moral high ground that I was supposed to think about, but it was just really just incredibly incredible movie. Good on you. Good on you. Yeah, I I, I really like it as well. It, you know, it unfortunately just missed my top 10, but what I want to say is my parents go to the movies ever so often. Um, they're not, you know, you know, big film fans like I am. They just go sort of, you know, more for entertainment than anything, but I told my parents to go see this. 
sort of unsure how they would react. And my mom called me sobbing at the mm. end of the movie. She said it was one of the most like thought provoking and affecting films she had seen in like her many years on this earth. Um, so that sort of speaks to the, the sort of power, particularly of that, like just, you know, absolutely electric final 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, number nine film is John Favreau's chef. Oh. This was his, um, his return to kind of smaller films after making you know, several blockbuster films. And, uh, sure. The film works as somewhat of a metaphor for his own career, but regardless of, you know, what might be implied by the film and what it, you know, what's behind it all. Chef is just super enjoyable. I called this film adorable. I whispered this to Alan Aguilera, actually. I saw this movie with him. I, I whispered over to him, like, about three-fourths of the way through. I was like, this movie's adorable, because it really is. Um, the movie, it has such a charming kind of narrative structure to it. It's like this long first act where you get, you know, you see Favreau's frustration as this as this once, once great chef who's kind of in a rut. And you see where things go, and he basically goes on a sabbatical of sorts, which leads to him having this bonding summer with his uh, with his son. And um, getting to, you know, watch these amazing cooking scenes that look amazing and make your mouth water, getting to see the chemistry between Favreau and John Leguizamo and this star-studded cast that has cameos from Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, along with, like, Bobby Carnavale, who Abe and I are both big fans of. I yes, just, yeah. Uh, just, there's, and Dustin Hoffman, of course. There's so many, like, great people in this film. The film's so charming and fun. The soundtrack's fantastic. There's so many great scenes of of just just basically just father son bonding and the the fa- and like it has this kind of it ha- i mean it's funny obviously too it has this uh, an aspect of drama that i enjoy i really i love the incorporation of kind of social media making a very it's very modern and i guess dates the film to an extent but i mean i just i loved everything about this film i've seen it a, f- a number of times at this point I don't stop liking it. It's just sweet. <laughs> and yeah. Just, and it's the one. It's one of the very few films this year where I could say anyone could see this movie and at least and have some kind of admiration for what it's trying to do. Like I can't see anyone outright hating the movie Chef because it's just such a charming film. So yeah. Definitely I, need to back you up on all the side characters like Bobby Cannavale and Dustin Hoffman. I loved him as the as the evil restaurant boss owner. Um, so good. He's like so so such a dick. I, I, I totally believed it. And then the other thing that I really liked was uh, um, just, like, the, the earnestness of the son character. Yeah. Just because it wasn't like, oh, my dad, like, you know, he's not, like, a total dweeb in, in terms of, like, my dad doesn't really pay attention to me. He's like, no, I mean, like, my dad's busy, but I want to use his summer to really get to, you know, be a part of his life. And it was great. You know, one of the things I think that Chef gets really right has nothing to do with food at all our digital media age and the power of social networks, Mm -hmm. in particular Twitter, I think it's perfectly represented. So, I mean, and there's some very funny scenes involving Twitter and his, uh, his little uh, war of words. And I, I really enjoyed those scenes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I can, I can just keep watching shit. Honestly, (laughs) there's that scene where, where him and Leguizamo and the son are all in the van and they're singing like this, this big brass version of sexual healing. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's on YouTube now, and it's one of my favorite clips. So I'm just like, I've saved this clip now because it's just such like a you just see joy <laughs> in the scene, just them singing along to the song, and the sun's watching. Like, has like, what's going on? This is crazy. Just... And I, I would put it in one of those categories, you know, of, of food movies like Babette's Feast mm-hmm. and Like Water for Chocolate, Big Night. Yeah, having uh, Roy eat... Choi as an advisor on the film, co-producer on the film, like certainly helped because you just see the, all the. I mean, it's 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 real, like, but you're like, it just it's looks real. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Moving on now, guys. Let's get to our number eights. Maxwell, what is your number eight film 
All right. My number eight film is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Uh, I'll keep my thoughts on this to a relative minimum because I have a feeling uh, others will be talking about it. Um, you know, it's just this incredible, ambitious 12-year project that works better than I think anyone could have anticipated. Um, what I like so much about it is it's just like dripping with nostalgia of, you know, growing up in, in the over the past 12 years. Um, it, it nails so many little, like, just nuances and, and moments you take for granted. And although the film is about this one particular experience of growing up, I think because those nuances feel so authentic and because both Ethan Hawke and uh, Patricia Arquette are so fantastic as the parents, it sort of has this every family quality about it that makes it really, really easy to relate to, at least for me. You know, because I had a very different experience growing up and yet I saw certain, you know, uh, truths about that experience um, it's just a really, you know, I, I uh, had some issues with it uh, in the in the the later sections of the film, um, the way that the main character evolves. Um, I didn't love, but the film as a whole is so well done that uh, it's it takes my number eight spot. I have no doubts we'll be hearing from this film again, so we'll just wait on that. I guess I've never even seen that movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what is your number eight film? So my number eight film is The Theory of Everything. And this is the biography of Stephen Hawking, but more than just a mere biography, this is a chronicle that becomes a romantic drama. And, and one of the best romantic dramas I've seen in several years, um, for quite a while, uh, it is a very unique approach to a man that is really famous for being an astrophysicist or a cosmologist is kind of actually what he's known for. And that's kind of what I was expecting when I went in to see the film. And what I got was this very tender love story that completely threw me for a loop. I was not expecting that. And the method humanizes the man in a way that is altogether unexpected and very captivating. Um, I think that... Eddie Redmayne's performance in this movie is the best performance of the year. I will go on record as saying that. I think, and there are some extraordinary performances out there. And I will, I will concede that there are definitely it's that's an arguable point. But him as Stephen Hawking, I didn't even question it. I felt like he was that man in the same way that when I watched uh, Gandhi and I saw Ben Kingsley portray that role, it didn't even seem like it was an actor playing a part. He was that guy. And it's a very hard part to play. It, it's that kind of thing where you can ask somebody, I want you to become this man and contort your body in this way. And it could come, it could have easily come across as very false. And there's never a false moment in this film. And the uh, Felicity Jones as Jane Hawking is, is very good too. Uh, probably not at the level of Stephen Hawking, but very good. And their romance and the devotion that she shows in this film was so touching and it really captivated me in a way that I, it, it affected me much more than I really expected this film to do. I, I, I expected to see a film about uh, a scientific genius and I, what I got was a great love story. Great. Abe, what is your number eight film? My number eight film of the year is Guardians of the Galaxy. Galaxy, galaxy. This is just a really fun movie with a solid, solid soundtrack and it's got very good performance uh, by the characters. I love all the little in-jokes in terms of pop culture, Kevin Bacon jokes and whatever else. I also just loved how there were like moments of just nice 
cinematography and nice like uh, art design, especially when Groot is just letting all these fireflies fly out of him just to create some light and just really nice music and whatever else. But um, no, I enjoyed this immensely because of the lightheartedness, but also it's a Marvel movie, but I'm glad that Marvel is not really uh, doing things that I guess, I guess uh, we're sort of expecting, which is hard for me to really put into words to really emphasize what that means, but... Um, well, they're bran- they're branching out they're, from the kind right. of standard Marvelness. I mean, you have Captain America. <clears throat> standard like comic book movies in general. Well, yeah, yeah, um, you have like you have like yeah. Captain America that's like a exactly. spy thriller, which and, is yeah, a spy thriller. Yeah, you have this, which yeah. is a space opera. Yeah, that was actually my number eleven, Captain America, mm-hmm. where I basically said that it was like a spy thriller, uh, guys in the film of like a superhero film, um, but it's got you know good messages about intelligence. And I have a feeling I think um, Ultron is uh, going to be like a, a road trip musical comedy. I think that's yeah, I think so too. It. Just like just like once. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, certainly I love me some Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not on my top ten list, but I, I've certainly watched it a lot because it's just a fun movie. Uh, my number eight, speaking of fun movies, from my eyes, um, it is uh, Inherent Vice, Paul Thomas Anderson's ah. latest film. Hey, Sanch. What's up, Doc? You know you have no case here. So if you're going to charge him, you bet him. Otherwise, you have to let him go. Mm, Sanch, remember who this is you're talking to? That's Bigfoot Bjornsson. Renaissance cop. No, he is. So, what's the beef here exactly? It doesn't have much to do with your specialty, which I understand is marine law. We got plenty of crime on the high seas, Lieutenant. Okay, well, so far we have murder and kidnapping. We can work in pirates if it would make you more comfortable. Either way, it's high profile. Yeah, but um, given your history of harassment with my client, this will never make it to trial. No, I think we could probably take this all the way to trial, but with our luck, you know, the jury pool will be 99% hippie. Unless you change the venue to maybe like uh, Orange County, not as many hippies down there, you know? So who are you working for? Clients pay me for work, Doc. Clients pay me for work, Doc. I I am aware that Maxwell and Mark are not as big of fans of Inherent Vice as I am. I haven't seen it yet. I know you have not seen it yet, and I know we're going to do an episode about it, so I don't want to go too far into it, I guess. Uh, mainly because I'm assuming it's, even though it's not going to appear on basically any other list except mine, uh, at this juncture, um, I I really love this movie. I loved it the seeing. I saw it. I've seen it twice so far. I can't wait to see it more because it just has so much going for it, and it it's rewarding to watch on re, on repeat viewings. Um, I think Joaquin Phoenix once again delivers a terrific performance, and he's just been on a roll in my eyes since um, coming back from the craziness he was going through. <laughs> the supporting cast is pretty fantastic, and I go, I go to highlight Josh Brolin in particular, who's Detective Bigfoot Bjornsson, Renaissance cop, does some of the funniest things that I saw in a movie last year, one of them involving a, a banana. Um, <laughs> there's just so much wackiness going on here, and it, like, it, it's this kind of neo-noir comedy that has this mystery, but the mystery is not all that important, and it's just all these things going on. It's just this kind of wild ride through this 70s L.A. scene that I was just hip to. I just really enjoyed the groove of this film. So, yeah, Inherent Vice stands as my, uh, my number eight film of the year. Definitely one of the more interesting trailers that I've seen this year, too. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's one of my favorite trailers of the yeah. year. Motopanakeku! And um, with that, we're going to take a brief break from our top tens to go to another couple... Uh, couple fun guests that I had uh, come on the show here. All right, I'm now here with Courtney Howard from VeryAware.com, and she's going to list us her top 10 favorite films of 2014. Hey, everybody. My top 10 include, starting with number 10, The Lego Movie, 
Number nine is Edge of Tomorrow, Cough, Cough, Live, Die, Repeat. Mm-hmm. I cannot get used to that name. Number eight is Only Le- Lovers Left Alive. Number seven is Frank. Number six, The Skeleton Twins. Number five, Selma. Number four, Nightcrawler. Number three, Gone Girl. Number two, Blue Ruin. And just edging out Blue Ruin to make my number one slot is Whiplash. Wonderful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. I'm now with Peter Paris from VeryAware.com, and he has his top ten list ready to go. So, Peter, take it away. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Uh, okay, so uh, I got to say my top ten list is pretty t- is pretty much set, except um, I am a little – I would put a little asterisk in my number one or two. I almost, would, I almost wish I could make number one and two just a tie. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. Uh, anyways, okay, so uh, number ten. The Skeleton Twins, number nine, Selma, number eight, Gone Girl, number seven, Birdman, number six, Boyhood, five, Nightcrawler, four, Inherent Vice, three, Whiplash, and at this point, I'm going to say number two, Grand Budapest Hotel, and number one, Under the Skin, although honestly... It could change tomorrow, and Grand Budapest could be number one. But those were for sure my two favorites. Um, in, in in what is a pretty terrific year, which is I'm hearing you, Aaron, and a lot of other people saying. All right. Well, thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that's that. Now let's move on. Let's get to our number sevens, guys. And with that, Maxwell, what is your number seven film of 2014? Uh, that would be Gone Girl, directed by David Fincher. Gone Girl is this like delicious, pulpy, trashy. Uh, meticulously directed, intriguing film um, that has this great mystery. This is the rare film that far surpasses, at least to my mind, its its uh, its novel, um, which is a pretty good, but mostly you know they throw around the term airport thriller. Um, anyways, what I really love about this movie, though, is is without giving anything away, it sort of takes this turn. And becomes this sort of, and I, I don't think this uh, phrase is my own, but like a postmodern scenes from a marriage. Um, mm-hmm. It's really kind of like just dirty and screwed up, and you know you're like just like so hooked to it, and you can't believe what you're seeing. Um, the cinematography is is so gorgeous. The score by uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross just like like latches on, and and the performances. I think this is probably either one of his top three best performances of Ben Affleck's career, and Rosamund Pike is just out of control. But mm-hmm. what <clears throat> really surprised me is Tyler Perry, who I think is sensational in this movie. Um, you know, say what you will about his own films, but if he wants to carve out a career for himself acting in other people's films, go ahead, because I loved him in this movie. Yeah, there's like a treasure trove of supporting performances here between him, Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens. Kim Dickens, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of just... Everybody in this movie is doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's, what, that's what I was going to get David Fincher to make you do 40 takes before you get it right. So, I mean, certainly everyone's <laughs> trying their hardest here. But, uh, yeah, Gone Girl, good movie. Let's move on now. Mark, what is your number seven film? That is a perfect segue into my number seven film, which is also Gone Girl. <laughs> and <laughs> Everyone take a shot. <laughs> Everyone take a shot. Whenever we lined up one. <laughs> Go on, Mark. I think... At heart, Gone Girl is a marriage fable, but this isn't the fantasy of an idealized romance, which is the complete opposite of the theory of everything. This is the tale of the institution as a prison, and it's like a jail that locks two people in a dungeon that are trying to like break free. 
Um, the dialogue, it attempts to present both sides of their failed union, and it's brilliant in the way that the both sides are presented. I think it presents uh, Ben Affleck's side a little bit more to the detriment of Amy, but at the meaning you you might side with him a little bit more. But as the as the story plays out, you start to sort of understand what led to these two people, why they act the way they do, and and sort of why they've sort of resorted to these uh, aspects of their lives. But I, I thought it was great. I, it reminded me a little bit of a Hitchcock film um, because it sort of initially. Uh, presented very much sort of like a, just a, a standard uh, murder mystery, um, much in the same way that like the Scott Peterson case would be uh, presented. And then as the layers sort of unfold, you start to realize that there's more to the story than what initially appears obvious. And and I just love the way that it unfolded. I thought the performances were great from everybody. You've already mentioned uh, everything that I was going to say about the, the supporting cast, particularly the female people. I thought that Carrie Coon was very good and, and Kim Dickens as well. Um, you know, uh, definitely. And then of course, Rosamund Pike. I mean, she's extraordinary, possibly, I mean, probably my favorite female performance of the year. I just thought she was extraordinary in this film. So all around a great film. David Fincher never has disappointed me and, uh, and uh, Gone Girl is no exception. Abe, what is your number seven film? My number seven film of the year is Interstellar. This movie just made me think a lot about science and about humanity. And aside from it being very, very visually stunning, I think if you saw it in IMAX, you were basically treated um, to a lot of visual, I guess, visual porn to some degree. Um, Tars is a robot that I would love to have on my team. He's got a confidence level that I love and a comedy level as well. But on the whole, there was just a lot of a lot here for me to take away and think about. Uh, in terms of not the film necessarily, but about just what is beyond there. I mean, there has to be another planet out there that can sustain life, that has life. And um, like it'd be almost impossible for us to live in a galaxy or have like a neighboring galaxy that has zero other planets. And it'd be, it's kind of a very, very neat uh, concept and neat idea. Uh, there's also some emotional stakes in here that I didn't really understand until afterward, especially involving uh, Dr. Catwoman, I forget, Dr. Anne Hathaway. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Catwoman, Anne Hathaway's character, which uh, I think on, on a second approach and also when I was talking about it, I think maybe with Aaron, um, it sort of made a little bit more sense. But there's also one scene in here with Anthony McConaughey just watching some videotapes, and that kind of just had me miss yet as well. It was very well done. But on the whole, I really, really enjoyed the science behind this, uh, even if not all of it is correct, uh, and even if the movie is kind of long, uh, with some characters that you may or may not really care about. For the most part, it's a pretty solid movie. I think that it's one of those ones where I hope that we do have a lot more engineers and scientists coming up in the next generation. All right, my uh, number seven film is Only Lovers Left Alive. It's really? Jim Jarmusch? This is the Jim Jarmusch film, yes, with Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton as vampires. Tilda Swinton basically as herself, because it kind of looks like a vampire. <laughs> um, but, um, this, this is, of course, the, uh, the second time Tilda Swinton's been mentioned on this list. Um, so far and with that in mind she's great in this movie and so is tom hiddleston and they play these this um this couple that happen to be vampires have been married for centuries and they're more so hiddleston's character is going through this kind of existential crisis and deciding kind of whether or not he even wants to keep living 
while they've both kind of been around for centuries, they've influenced and been friends with various engineers and artists and inventors. And they're still doing that to this day, still inventing things and coming up with new technology. And they even seem to have some kind of foresight if one reads into it certain ways. But what I love about this movie is the atmosphere. I, I fell in love with this movie because of that reason. The opening shot got me right away where it's just this kind of spinning shot from above that kind of, as you listen to this music and you see a record player kind of transitions in and out of Hiddleston and Hilt Swinton's characters from above and moving in circles. And it's just, it kind of, it just kind of mesmerized me. I love the soundtrack here. I love this cast. I love, uh, they also have Jeffrey Wright, John Hurt, and Mia Wasikowska in here. Uh, the movie, it's certainly, if you're familiar with Jarmusch films, it certainly has its own pace and rhythm to it. So it's not, you know, the most fast paced of movies, but if you're into the style that he presents, it certainly fits like one that you would enjoy for that matter for that matter um, there's a lot of humor in it as well uh, which i really appreciated just the kind of it focuses on how they how they are as vampires and how little that really factors into the film but yet still has areas that make them kind of you know stand out in their own way the just the the production design between the shooting and and um in detroit and um where is it tangier somewhere mm-hmm. where Tilda Swinton's character is. I just, I, I loved all of this movie. I've watched it multiple. I, wa- I watched this movie while I was writing my top ten list, actually. Nice. I, I keep watching this movie. Uh, and, uh, Anton Yelchin's in here, too. I was trying to think of the other uh, yeah. cast member. There's just so much here. And I, I just, I love the mood of this movie so much. And it's just... I just watched that movie movies. today. Yeah? Did you like yeah. it, Dave? I did like it. It was, it was very moody. But again, like what you said, I think that they've got a lot to say about, I guess, society today. Because I like the way that they're... They use Detroit as their setting and how he's describing at one time this very beautiful playhouse. And then he's like, now it's a car lot. Um, the way that he the way that they shot that, too, because I wasn't expecting to see that there was just a parking lot there at the end of that scene. But no, I, I really did enjoy the movie. Good to hear, though, Abe. Like, finally, there's so many movies that I like say to like see for months and you never <laughs> see them. And you finally see one. I, I listen to Out Out There and an Abe. I don't I, know if you guys know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I have like what like uh, seeking a friend for the end of the world's been like on my top. Still, still on my, still <laughs> on my queue. So. <laughs> you know what? I have still not seen that either. And I, thanks, and Mark. I, yes, I, yes. No, we'll I watch love, it maybe sometime together. And this, and it's horrible, and I love Kira Knightley. I love her. <laughs> I saw I saw that in theaters. So. <laughs> no, and I don't. I don't. Maxwell's a true I, friend. I, yeah. <laughs> No, but, but yeah, I, I obviously, I mean, it's not like I've seen everything either. Like, there's certain movies that I certainly want to see. It's, just, it's, it's impossible just, to see everything. Exactly. But I am yeah, happy exactly. that you're able to see all the numbers up to life. Of all yeah, the movies I, that you could have seen, I'm, like, I'm <laughs> happy you chose that one. Yeah. I will say also, last thing about Only Lovers Left Alive, I love the scene where she's just like, hey, you know, you could also just be dancing. And then they just dance. Yeah. I really like that scene a lot. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, let's dance over back to Maxwell. What's your number six film? Uh, my number six is Snowpiercer. Uh, Snowpiercer is just a terrific um, allegorical sci-fi thriller with incredible world building and production design. Um, a great diverse ensemble of actors from America and from Korea and uh, England. Tilda Swinton gives one of my favorite performances of the year in this film. The action scenes are tightly choreographed and executed brilliantly uh, based on the limitations of the space. Um, and I, I think the, the, the movie is so great because the design of the train, uh, wherein sort of without giving too much away, the characters make their way from car to car within this train. As they go from car to car and things change, it perfectly mirrors the structure of the film. So it, it's just as you know, beautifully executed and designed piece. Um, it, it's it's uh, you know, a very powerful work of uh, agitprop, 
Um, and um, it, it's also, you know, even if you throw all the, the you know, obvious but well-done thematic uh, subtext away, it's just a great um, thought-provoking action movie, and I wish more big sci-fi movies were as accomplished as this one. That in mind, Mark Hoban, what is your number six film? So my number six film is The Babadook. And this was a horror film. Uh, it doesn't rely on lazy scares or, you know, <coughs> disgusting sights, but it intelligently exploits our anxieties and the unknown. And I physically felt uneasy by the time we reached the climax. And in that sort of vein, it reminded me a lot of Roman Polanski's Repulsion. Hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of themes that are addressed in this film. Um, there's the obvious terror of the Baba Duke, which is this shadowy figure that is sort of like a boogeyman. Um, but then there's also this mother and child relationship, which I think is what pushes this film to the next level. They have this very strong bond, and he's got the little boy has some sort of behavioral problems. He's kind of having difficulty in school, and so she's trying to deal with that. But meanwhile, the boy is also trying to guard his mother from these supernatural forces that sort of seek to threaten her. And this relationship forms this underlying, underlying subtext um, throughout the entire film um, that is exceptional. The actress that plays the mother, Essie Davis, is extraordinary. I would also put her performance in this film among the best of the year. Um, it's an Australian film, so I don't think it's gotten as much, you know, it hasn't gotten as much... Uh, notoriety. Notoriety, you know, as a lot of other films. I mean, nobody's talking about this in the Academy Awards or anything. But I, I think it's, it, it's, it's definitely the kind of film that is worthy of those kinds of awards uh, she's a revelation and i put her performance up there with great horror performances like mia farrow in uh rosemary's, rosemary's baby, baby or ellen burston in uh the exorcist, uh, the exorcist thank you <laughs> so <laughs> I gotcha. I mean, she was ex yeah those are like those are the go-to actress but um I didn't even expect to be moved by a horror film, uh, but that's exactly what happened to me by the end of this film. And a lot of people think that I don't like horror films because often they, the, the worst of them uh, appear at the bottom of my list of, of the year. But uh, I, that's not true. I actually I love horror films when they're done well. The Ring is one of my favorite films of all time. And, and I also love things like The Shining and things like that. When they're done well, I, I will give it the... You know, and and you know the uh, notoriety it deserves, and the Baba Duke is one of those films. I think it is it definitely is something that will last throughout all time in terms in the horror genre. I think it's it, it's a it's a wonderful film, and this picture book that she reads to her child is the most frightening picture book I have ever seen for a child. Uh, so that's just something. I, I also love that little prop that they used in the, in the, the, the film. It, it definitely, it creeped me out. The best thing I can say about The Babadook is that after watching it, I desperately clamored at getting one of those books, and sure enough, the website currently has pre-orders for them, which is what I did um, for a hefty you, price. You ordered one? Yes, I did. They're, they're so expensive. For a hefty <laughs> price, but I'm one of the first 2,000, so it'll be signed by Jennifer <laughs> Kent herself. Boom. Um, I agree, Essie Davis is fantastic in this film. She is my pick for both Breakthrough Performance of the Year and for just Best Actress of the Year. I, I think she does a tremendous job. with. What about Best Mom? Uh, best Mom? She's I, not going to win? Did you see Maya Rudolph in Big Hero 6, uh, Abe? I, I mean, oh, yeah. No, well, she, uh, she's an ant. She's an ant. Yeah. Uh, I'm kidding. But regardless, <laughs> I do I do like the Babadook quite a bit. I can't wait to see it again. I've only seen it once, and I feel like if I see it another time, I might like even 
have more fonder like i already like it a lot it's easily the best horror film of the year probably the best horror film of the last couple of years but yeah i'd necessarily have a lot of respect for the babadook and hearing babadook say babadook duke duke on the phone is something i desperately want as my voicemail line so i'm gonna call you tomorrow <laughs> and i'll hopefully have it set up by then <laughs> abraham what is your number six film my number six film of the year is the skeleton twins such a strongly written film and it's got emotional beats that really hit true uh, in sibling arguments what i really liked about it a lot is that christian wig and bill Hader, as funny as they are they can really really bring this dramatic uh script to life and what's very sad about it is it basically just deals with a lot of depression um and what is uh, sort of ironic too is that the opening sequence of the movie has these two siblings sort of contemplating uh, suicidal thoughts which is very depressing um but no i mean what i there's a lot to take in about this movie there's a lot of humor there's a lot of there's a great dance sequence and a great uh, lip-syncing sequence in the middle of the movie too um but there's like these arguments are just so well done like you could feel really really feel the the uh the anger and emotion coming off of christian wig and uh bill Hader as their characters especially like in one argument toward the end where uh, they're they're having this really nice time at a Halloween party, and then all of a sudden somebody calls, and just like you, then kind of uh, you sort of realize what happened back in high school and why things are so messed up for them. Um, but it's it's very very emotionally uh, well done, and I think that it's one of the best written films of the year. Bill Hader is really good in this movie. Like I think yeah. all, the whole cast is really yeah. good in this movie, but Bill Hader <clears throat> certainly, as someone who hasn't you know had a chance to really show the other aspects of his you know acting. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is certainly his time to shine here, and he does a terrific job. I mean, yeah, all, all the side characters are good too, like uh, uh, Ty Burrell. As, well, I was uh, about to say also, Luke Wilson, I think, is sorely underrated in this film. I feel agreed. like, and if there wasn't so many great supporting actor performances every year, I would love to see Luke Wilson get a nomination for best yeah, supporting so actor. So I think like during our, our meeting review of it, I said Luke Wilson acts like Luke Wilson. I didn't mean that in a negative way. I just basically basically meant that he's acting like a dude that I didn't expect him to be like. Which is not a negative thing at all. It's very positive. It's I actually, like, hey, I got to re- I got to review the Blu-ray for the Skeleton Twins for Why So Blue, and there's a lot of outtakes for the film. And uh-huh. Luke Wilson's not one that's like known to. He's not like an improv actor in the same way that Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader obviously are. And so seeing the outtakes between them, he is a really strong comedic performer. Like he knows how to kind nice. of craft these lines and like run with the run with the kind of the ways they're hater and uh, and wig you know are coming up with things on the fly like he's just as adept to do that as well and so it just emphasizes how much i really like luke wilson in this movie so nice. i i love the skeleton twins i could i struggled whether or not i wanted to put it in my top 10 i ultimately did not so you're not going to hear about it from me but you could have i mean i i really thought this was an extraordinary film so i'm i'm so happy abe that you you picked it in your top 10 cuz i it's it's definitely worthy of a top 10 i i certainly could have put it there um but i just uh, it's so hard this year but yeah there's a lot this it year was, yeah that i the milo and maggie they put the fun in dysfunctional so. <laughs> <laughs> but Max, were you going to add anything about Skeleton Twins? Uh, I was just going to say that you know Bill Hader was my choice for Best Supporting Actor of the Year. I thought he was just tremendous. All right, my number six. You're ready to take a shot. It is also Snowpiercer, tying with Maxwell. Hey, um, yeah, I, I, Maxwell, you've already said everything that I could say about this film, but I love Snowpiercer. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Tilda Swinton's amazing. Um, they're, the, the world created within these various train cars I found to be faci- fascinating. I think Chris Evans does a very good job here taking this kind of what what could be a, a kind of stock, gruff 
kind of serious character and imbues it with both the kind of natural charisma that Chris Evans has, but also gets to that kind of late in the game point where he has this extended monologue that is, it has a tinge of dark comedy to it, but is also done well enough where you can, within this very bizarre movie, you can take it in a way that just fits. And that goes for a lot of the aspects of this film in terms of like how the story kind of evolves throughout. And it's also just a great action movie. Like there's some <laughs> terrific action in this film uh-huh. uh, so, and, and within train cars, no less. But there's various dynamics at play involving kind of who's being fought against, how the setting in terms of like the lighting of certain sequels. Like it's just so well done. Bong Joon-ho does a terrific job here. Um, I He, who has a very diverse filmography at this point, like I'm, I'm excited to see what he does next. Um there's so many great, like, the, the whole Allison Pill as a teacher ah. scene is, mm-hmm. like, one of the best scenes of, like, the year of just any movie. There's just so many just little bits like that throughout Snowpiercer, and it's just this movie that just, it's a train firing in all cylinders. Like, that's literally what it is, <laughs> and it's nonstop, and I loved it. It's this, it's a wonderful, wonderful sci-fi movie. Nonstop! So, yeah, Snowpiercer, that's my number six film. I'd also recommend, if you want to listen more about Snowpiercer, we had a pretty good discussion. They're like two on and two off, or not really off, but two not so high on it, um, which is a very good discussion what we had about Snowpiercer. So take a listen to that. Thanks for that, Abe. All right. Now let's get to our number five films. Maxwell, what is your number five film of 2014? All right. My number five film is Nightcrawler. Since when did Coldwater become faster than Laurel? What was it thinking there? I didn't ask that to hear myself speak. Because, you know, cold water only has six lights. Yeah, but Laurel has places to pass. I can't get around this person until Ventura. It's the same argument, man. I said this route. If you wanted to take Laurel, you should have said something. I I thought that you worked in other factors. If I didn't think that you could do better, I wouldn't ride you so hard about the routes. I think you know that, Rick. I think it may just be possible that I have a higher opinion of you than you have of yourself. God damn it! Uh, Nightcrawler uh, is an incredible satire of sort of the modern journalistic machine, in particular TV news, which is its own unique breed. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal in what I think is the best performance anyone gave this year that I saw. Um, It's an all-time great sociopathic performance that just sort of grasps onto the back of your skull and sort of just like stays there. He like slinks throughout this movie. He lost all this weight so he's emaciated he has these like incredibly pronounced cheekbones he's he he strikes this balance between like charisma that sort of reminded me of like tom cruise and jerry Maguire, Hmm. and like incredible psychopath like uh yeah de niro and taxi driver which is a great reference point for the movie but dan gilroy uh brother of tony gilroy is so assured it's remarkable to me that this is the first film he's made that the screenplay is absolutely tight and the, the as the film unfolds it, and you begin to see the depths to which Lewis Bloom which is uh Hall's character will will go to you're you're at once horrified but also you you then start drawing parallels to some of the 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 footage you see on the news every day it, it's a challenging film it it captures nighttime in Los Angeles beautifully with Gorgeous cinematography from Robert Ellswit, who also shot uh, Inherent Vice this year. He just knows how to capture Los Angeles. Mm. Um, it's just tremendous, and it, it just sort of stays with you. You're left thinking about it days after you see it. All right. Mark, what is your number five film? Uh, so my number five film is Guardians of the Galaxy. How are we going to leave? 
Well, he's got a plan, right? Or is that another thing you made up? I have a plan. I have a plan. Six are yammering and relieve us from this irksome confinement. Yeah, I'll have to agree with the walking thesaurus on that one. Do not ever call me a thesaurus. It's just a metaphor, dude. His people are completely literal. Metaphors are going to go over his head. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. I'm going to die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. Perhaps you've, heard, perhaps you've heard of it. It's the number one film of the year. Um, this is the funniest film of the year. For sure, I would say I, I loved it. And... It's kind of the spiritual sequel to the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, it's action-packed. It's well-written. Um, it's got great characters. It's witty. Um, and it's, it's a space epic. And I just enjoyed the whole, like, size of it. I mean, it's got these great costumes. It's got – the production is incredible. I was just – I felt like a kid when I was watching this film. And, you know, like – it's just got such great dialogue. I mean, there's one, I was watching some clips recently just to kind of remind me about this film. There's a part where they're um, planning their uh, jailbreak sequence and uh, the raccoon is like uh, talking to Gamora and he says to her, you know, uh, some of these bad guys, they kind of find you attractive. So maybe you could work out some sort of trade. And she's like, you must be joking. And he says, no, I, I really heard they find you attractive. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like that kind of dialogue. That's like, just so funny and this is the way i like my um my superhero films with a little bit of like tongue-in-cheek humor and 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 that sort of it's a little bit subversive the soundtrack uh is really fun you know they, they collect a lot of oldies on the throughout the film it's not the kind of stuff you would expect i don't know i just it, it just was really a fun film and i mean and and, and so enjoyable that it, it ends up being my number five pick. But I, I, I think it definitely deserves uh, any adulation it, it gets because I, th I thought it was really an, an enjoyable film. Yeah, not what you expect um, is the epitome of having hooked on a feeling become a number chart to another chart-topping <laughs> hit in the 2014. <laughs> but yeah, the soundtrack is certainly amazing on Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm really excited to see what director James Gunn does next because i think he definitely has his finger on sort of the pulse of like how to direct a film and and what it is that that makes a story interesting so for sure mm -hmm. abe what is your number five film my number five film of the year is birdman birdman is a, a superbly acted movie and the storyline is very poetic and well done and it kind of reminds me of uh top five which i just saw recently in terms of the the what actors and all these artists go through versus critics and what they write about these uh, these uh, plays and movies and whatever else. So it's it's one of those movies where it kind of stuck with me because the soundtrack is pretty good. You know, having this guy follow you around on a drum set is pretty spectacular. Michael Keaton is spectacular in this. Almost all the side characters, including Amy uh, Amy Ryan, Amy Ryan, yeah, who has like a very small role, but it's very very effective. I like the way that she kind of finds a, a different. Um, uh, sort of persona with Michael Keaton uh, whenever they're, they're on screen together. Um, there's a lot of great dialogue in this, too. There's very poignant moments, and there's very good uh, character development uh, that I appreciate about this movie. So, on the whole, very, very solid. Um, highly recommended. Yeah, my uh, number five film, it is The Lego Movie. Oh my gosh, I love this song! Everything is Oh, 
always use a turn signal. Park between the lines. Yes. Drop off dry cleaning before noon. Read the headlines. Don't forget to smile. Always root for the local sports team. Go sports team! Always return a compliment. Hey, you look nice. So do you. Drink overpriced coffee. There you go. That's $37. Awesome. I love the Lego movie. I feel bad that I merely underrated it at just four and a half stars instead of the full five, which I would easily go back and give it now at this point (laughs) because I've seen it so many times. Um, Everything, indeed, is awesome in this movie for me. It makes me laugh hysterically. I think the the casting of the voice actors in this movie, beyond just like Chris Pratt, who, you know, has had one of the best years of any actor. Yes. um, You have Liam Neeson giving what is maybe my favorite performance of Liam Neeson this year. And I think when he's had like four performances this year as good cop, good bad cop, cop, bad cop. Yes. <laughs> uh, you have one of my new favorite Batman personas in the form of Will Arnett as like Frank Miller's, the goddamn Batman, Batman. <laughs> yeah. There's so many great gags here. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who I've loved since clone, their work on clone high on MTV. And they've gone on to do cloudy perchance and meatballs another animated film that I really love. Um, and they've, of course, done the 21 and 22 Jump Street films. They, Mark's talked about, you know, how James Gunn has kind of a, his finger on the pulse to an extent of kind of like modern filmmaking. I think Lord and Miller also have a very good understanding of of what of what just what's inherently funny and how to kind of disassemble certain gags and things about blockbusters and make it work into its in its own way where it can be this. It can be both a very standard blockbuster type film based on the story that is very aware of itself while also kind of dissecting what makes those stories exist in the way they do and kind of satirize those elements. And it's able to add on this kind of third act out of nowhere segment that really brings everything home for me that really just opens up the world of this movie into even far greater territory than I was expecting. I was very happy just to be entertained by a movie about Legos, but I was more than ecstatic about the fact that it's incredibly funny and very clever and very creative and very ambitious. And the animation is for a Lego movie. Again, it's stunning. And the soundtrack is so good with Mark Mothersbaugh doing the music here. Like it's just everything about this movie is awesome. Like that's all I have to say. (laughs) So with that in mind, let's uh, quick, before we get to some more guest stuff, let's do a quick recap of our top five films, guys. So um, Maxwell, what is, what is your 10 through five? Uh, 10 was pride. Nine was Ida. Eight was Boyhood, seven was Gone Girl, six was Snowpiercer, and five was Nightcrawler. Mark? Uh, ten was Foxcatcher, nine was Enemy, eight was The Theory of Everything, seven was Gone Girl, six The Babadook, and five Guardians of the Galaxy. Abe? Ten is Gone Girl, nine is Whiplash, number eight is Guardians of the Galaxy, seven is Interstellar, six is The Skeleton Twins, and number five was Birdman. My number 10 was The Grand Budapest Hotel. My number 9 was Chef. 8 was Inherent Vice. 7 was Only Lovers Left Alive. 6 was Snowpiercer. And 5 was The Lego Movie. Alright, so with that in mind, let's jump again to a couple more guests that I've recorded and hear what they have to say. Alright, I'm now with Michael Lee from uh, MovieViral.com, and he's going to share with us his uh, top movies of the year. Alright, here I go. This is uh, my top 10. Uh, Lego Movie, Big Hero 6, Edge of Tomorrow, Grand Budapest Hotel, Gone Girl, and Birdman, Selma, Snowpiercer, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Whiplash. Boom. All right. Thank you very much. All right. So now we're here with Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com, and he's going to list out his top favorite films of 2014. Awesome. I'm very excited. Uh, 
You know, 10 for me is under the skin. Any of you guys see this movie? Yes, we have. This is freaking crazy. I, I can I swear? I can't swear, can I? Nope. <laughs> Freak. Uh, yeah, I love this film. It's hypnotic. It's thrilling. It's awesome. I love that. I, I get why people hate it, but come on. This movie's awesome. Number nine for me is Nightcrawler. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic. But I also felt that this movie just stuck with me like crazy. It was intense. Uh my number eight is Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know if I've ever had this much fun with a, a Marvel film, and it, it may very well be my favorite Marvel film of all time. Uh, number seven for me is Babadook. This movie like still haunts me. Maybe it's being a parent. I don't know what it is, but this is and, and her performance. She should get an Oscar nomination. She's just Essie Davis is fantastic. Um, number six for me is, uh, is, um, Edge of Tomorrow. I couldn't believe how much fun this was. It, it was great seeing Tom Cruise back in a really cool role in a really cool film. Number five is Birdman, Birdman, actually. Stunning film. I, I love the way it was shot. Just beautiful film. And again, I love the score here, too. Really awesome movie. Uh, and Michael Keaton. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins Best, uh, best Actor this year. Uh, number four is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, another blockbuster. I actually really love this movie, and it, it's such a powerful movie. And while I, other films on my list may have been more fun, I, I love this, and I think Andy Serkis is phenomenal. Just great. I love what Matt Reeves is doing. Uh, number three is Gone Girl. F me, man. Rosamund Pike kicked but, God, I want to swear so bad. <laughs> uh, she's so amazing in this film. And, I, I, you know, I knew everything that was going to happen in this movie, but it didn't matter to me. It, I was completely hooked. One of my favorite Fincher films, to be honest. Number two, I'm a sucker for music and I'm a sucker for drummers. Whiplash is freaking brilliant. Uh, J.K. Simmons is just stunning. Uh, an amazing movie. I love this film. Um, definitely one of my favorites, uh, this year and my top film, I, I can't resist Richard Linkletter's boyhood. I think it was beautiful. I think it's, it's, it's such a powerful film. It's, it's Patricia Arquette's great. Everyone's great. It's just such a, it's, it's could have gone horribly wrong. It was a bizarre experiment that just could have failed miserably, yet it's it's just stunning. It's one I can watch over and over, and it doesn't matter how long it is. It was, in fact, it could have been longer. It was just great. But, yeah, that is my number one movie. Well, great, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Okay, and now back from that, let's... Um... Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, that was really that was really informative. I thought so. What's unique choices? Really, yeah, those guys are great guests. We completely all heard it just now. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, to be serious for a second, it is great that we're able to have so many guests on the show. Obviously, Absolutely. right now we have Mark and Maxwell with us, which Abe and I are very happy to have with us. But you know, having Scott and Brandon and Jimmy and Peter, Michael—I mean, just having Michael all these people Courtney, on. Yeah. Or, I mean, I could go on naming Alan, Jordan. I, I mean, yeah. so many people we have on the show. You know, doing the show. You know, basically 52 out of 52 weeks a year. Like it's, you know. <laughs> it's almost like Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for. We are. We are a lot of those guests are friends of ours, and we always enjoy meeting a lot of new people as well. Yeah, we you know we have to adjust our schedules and everything to make everything work, but we're happy to do it because we like talking to various different people and giving you different perspectives on films and whatnot. Yeah. So it's great to have everybody on this show. 
Everything is awesome. Exactly. Speaking <laughs> of which, let's get to our number fours. Maxwell, what is your number four film? All right. My number four film is Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher. That would have been way better if it was Lego Movie. But <laughs> <laughs> That'd be another shot. <laughs> um, obviously, Foxcatcher is a bit of a polarizing or divisive film. Um, but for me, this it was uh, you know just incredible. It's meticulous and deliberate. It's austere. It's another one of those films where what's not said and the way shots are framed, and in particular with this movie, the physicality of the acting says so much. Um, it's a terrific um, sort of character study of these three. Um, characters, the two brothers and John DuPont, and the dynamics, the shifting dynamics between them. But even more than that, to me, it's this just, you know, wonderful portrait of the dark heart of America. It sort of uh, takes shots at American capitalism and the spoils of the filthy rich. Um, it's just, a, you know, such a, a thought-provoking film. Um, and and each choice that that is made in the film is so deliberate and so well accomplished that I like Nightcrawler I was thinking about it days later and it was sort of creeping throughout me it sort of you know leaves you chilled because it is a very chilling film and it paints a very chilling portrait of um of America I, I loved it and you know Channing Tatum over the past couple of years has really uh, surprised I think a lot of people but in this film I think he just is tremendous he sort of steps to the next level I can't wait to see what what he's capable of going forward. He's not just the beefcake that can dance that, you know, came out in, in Step Up a couple years ago. And, you know, there's a film that he was in called A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, mm -hmm. um, which I thought he was great in. Um, and this his performance in this film finally, for me, lives up to the promise he showed in that movie. He's just like this great bottle of rage. There's a scene in the film that's one of my uh, favorite scenes in any film this year where... After he he sort of uh, suffers a you know something traumatic to himself, he orders room service and he just eats and eats and eats and eats and trashes the room and and he's so incredible without saying anything in that scene. To me, that's that's acting. If you can convey your soul without saying a word, you're doing something right. And that's that's what I love about this whole movie. It conveys the film's soul without having to to, to say too much. Yeah, well, I've been clear on my thoughts on Foxcatcher. I don't deny, and I haven't denied in the past either, that the acting is tremendous in this movie. I wouldn't, I don't deny that at all. I do think Tatum and Ruffalo and Harrell all do a very good job with what they're given in this film. Also, one of the better trailers, I think it might be like trailer number two or number three for it, where Tatum is going, uh, where he throws himself against a mirror, and I was like, holy crap, what is going on here? So that was definitely a good trailer. One of the things I didn't really mention when I was talking about it uh, before and Maxwell kind of touched on this and it reminded me, it's sort of an attack on how wealth can buy standing in mm -hmm. arenas in which you don't belong. Yeah. And John DuPont did not belong to the wrestling world and he forced his way into this world with his money. And I thought that was kind of interesting, um, you know. And then also another thing about uh, great scenes of the year, and we may talk about this later, but Mark Ruffalo as David Schultz, there's a part where a Bayot a biographer of John yep. Pont wants to create this fake documentary about him and well, not a fake documentary, but I mean a real documentary, but sort of lionizing John DuPont as this great benefactor. And they're asking Mark Ruffalo questions in order to get him to say wonderful things about 
John DuPont or Steve Carell as he's playing this guy. And it's just, it's so awkward and so, like, that scene is one of the best of the year. I mean, this is one of the reasons why it, it ended up being my number 10, because it's so, he's trying to, like, force his way to say nice things about Steve Carell or uh, John DuPont, but it's, he can't, he can't, he can't do it. And so he can't betray his own feelings. And it's just, it, it actually, it has dire consequences later, I believe. So, and we can all agree it's hard to say nice things about Steve Carell. I'm kidding. Um, the, <laughs> uh, I, I'm aware that that footage, I think that's what Mark Ruffalo studied in order to get that character down. The, like the actual footage that that was shot on. But uh, that, yeah, that is a that is a very good scene in that film, and I do think about, among the three, and I said this in the past, I think Ruffalo does the best job of the actors in this film. When is he not good? It's Ruffalo, you know. Yeah. Speaking of Marks, Mark Hoban, what is your number four film? Yeah, so my number four film was mentioned earlier. It's Nightcrawler, and uh, I think it's an extraordinary film. Um, when film historians look back on the career of Jake Gyllenhaal, his portrayal of Lou Bloom in this film will be a role that is mentioned for sure. Uh, he is nothing less than extraordinary in this film. Um, he's on a level with Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver. He's incredible. He's He creates this unease in the viewer that you sort of like are disgusted by him. But at the same time, you're sort of drawn to them because he, he has this sort of mesmerizing quality that you kind of want to follow. Um, it It's really sort of this film kind of snuck up on me because I really didn't, I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. And I, I think it snuck up on a lot of people because it wasn't really part of the Academy Award discussion until uh, after it had come out. Uh, and, and people had actually seen the performances and realized, wow, this is something, you know, that's, it's kind of uh, unique. And the, 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 there are scenes where I, I don't even think I remember to breathe in the movie. Uh, there's, there's stuff, stuff. He sneaks his way into a house and he's rummaging his way through and he's filming things. And then he's, uh, sending the, the footage off to the, the news people and and he's negotiating of his price. It's just, (laughs) the dialogue is extraordinary. And, uh, it's, it's, I love character studies. I mean, it's, it's, it, character studies are several of the films that I've picked in my top tens. And and this is certainly one of them um, that ranks, you know, among the best of the year. I mean, I have it at number four. So I I, I really loved it. And um, what's the name of the guy that was his uh, sort Riz of protege? Riz Ahmed. Yes. Character, yeah. Let's let's mention him. He's because we haven't really talked about him, and and I I haven't really heard a whole lot of talk about him, but he's really good too. Yeah. Um, I and then when he's asking him to negotiate his salary, that's an interesting scene, um, and one of many in this film, but but something worth noting. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just, uh, and Renee Rousseau, uh, her character is also extraordinary. Um, so it's just, it's just a collection of all these different pieces that form this interesting puzzle. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a, a film. I, I didn't, I, I still haven't stopped thinking about it. Those, those Gilroy brothers, whatever <laughs> yeah. was in the water at their house. Uh-huh. I am a huge Michael Clayton fan as well. Me, so. me too. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Abe, what is your number four film? My number four film of the year is Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow is a movie that deserves way more than a guy, and I'm talking about in terms of box office and also in terms of just viewership overall. I mean, it's kind of a sad thing when they have to change the DVD to, to be live, die, repeat, and then in small parentheses, or not in parentheses, but just at the bottom, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. 
Um, and despite a weak ending, it's pretty solid in the way that it doesn't reveal the way that things progress throughout the movie. Uh, I like the way that it, there are different scenes. There's things that really go on throughout the entire day that you don't see until much later. And also, if you are a fan of Tom Cruise, you'll enjoy this movie. If you're not a fan of Tom Cruise, you'll enjoy this movie because he gets killed a lot. Um, <laughs> and then the thing that I really liked about it a lot is just the emotional toll that it, it shows you on the film, or in the film, in the face of the actors. Uh, like Tom Cruise has been through this x number of times and at one point he's just so tired of waking up to where he has to and um, there's also another point where uh, he has to tell another character something that she doesn't she may or may not want to hear uh, and it's just very sad because it's like you know she's just not gonna make it beyond a certain point and he knows this and he's done this x number of times and it, it's just a pretty very good movie third act a little bit strange a little bit weak but on the whole i think it really deserved much more than it got yeah edge of tomorrow is a fantastic film i actually watched this again over a over a Christmas break. I've seen it a few times now and I really like Edge of Tomorrow a lot. Um, and yeah, like Emily Blunt's great in this movie, but Tom Cruise is not going to get nearly enough credit for doing what he's doing here. And I don't even know if he's quite aware of what he's doing here in terms of kind of the greater implication of seeing a movie with this kind of character where I feel like, and I'd be, I'd be very curious to know what his own thought process is on this, but I, and I know I've seen a number of other people talk about this too, but it's like, it's such a, it's an examination of like the Tom Cruise persona almost in this film where it's, you know, it's taking a character, it's taking Tom Cruise, the actor and putting him through this thing again and again and again and again and again, where he's trying to get it right every time. And that really reflects on what I see as in Tom Cruise, the actor, where regardless of like how good the movie is, he's trying every time out. And we, we talked about this with things like Bruce Willis, where he clearly yeah. doesn't try sometimes. Tom Cruise is someone that always shows up to the movie. Like he, regardless of how good he is in it or how good the movie is overall, he is yeah. always giving it his all. And like we're gonna, we're about to see another Mission Impossible movie where he's probably gonna do something crazy there. He's gonna be like probably like 51 by the time it's done, and he's probably gonna still be acting his ass off. Oh, so he, uh, good on him. He hooked himself on the side of there a <laughs> 600 uh, mile per hour jet plane. Of course he did. He's Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> loves doing his own he stunts. Has, he has yeah. the need for speed. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine what the insurance premiums on a Tom Cruise film are? I have no idea. But like <laughs> seeing him in a movie like this where he's playing a character that's have to get that has to give it his all every time out or else he dies and has to come back again the next day, that's fascinating to yeah. me. And that's and, such a that's such a neat way to like make design a blockbuster around. A sci fi blockbuster with like whatever villains and blah blah blah. There's also this kind of other agenda going on that examines the movie star that's playing the lead character. Yeah, and one of the things that I really enjoy about it, too, is just that you have the lead character that has to be very likable and has to be very charming to some degree. Tom Cruise is a lot of that, right? So you know, he's got to go through this very early on scene where you have to see him say these stupid lines and then do it again within the next 15 minutes. And if it's something that you don't enjoy seeing on the screen, say if it was something like, I don't know, but uh, someone that you don't really enjoy, you kind of just lose it. You lose interest in the movie early on, and Tom Cruise is one of those people that really just brings it every time that he's on screen. So good on you, Wade. Here's tomorrow. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Solid choice. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of nothing about Edge Tomorrow, my number four film is Selma. Um, <laughs> this is this is of course the uh, Martin Luther King drama that is expanding very soon, and I hope a lot of people go see it because it is it's 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 fantastic. Uh, David Oyelowo stars as Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, it does the exact thing that i'd hope a, a good biopic about martin luther king could do which is not examine all of him but just a part of his life and this film does that it, it goes over 
the the marches that happened from Selma to Montgomery, and it's just it's a it's a tremendous film. I know Abe and I we're gonna probably talk about this in a longer episode, so I don't want to again go too far into it if I don't have to. But mm-hmm. everything about it really came together. It's very timely given what it's addressing and what's going on in current society. Uh, director Ava DuVernay, she makes a very strong impression for me. I haven't seen her first feature, but I mean she's the kind the kind of work she's doing here. It's like she can do whatever she wants. I'm gonna be happy to see it. Um, <laughs> the the act, I mean, oh, Yellow is fantastic as Dr. Martin Luther King, and he does so by, it's not like he, he doesn't really look like Martin Luther King that much beyond, like, oh, they gave him a mustache and he gains the weight, but, like, his, the way he kind of embodies this person and, you know, makes him human, he doesn't make him too much of a, I mean, obviously, it's hard to not call Martin Luther King a saint at this point, but he doesn't make him too much of a person standing so high on the pedestal that you can't possibly see him as a human being. He does make him human, and that's something that's very important to a film like this, along with just so many other aspects of what it's trying to convey, what it's telling about the past, what it's telling about the present. Um, the use of cinematography here, the way he kind of makes impressions based on some dramatic scenes that take place and whatnot. You have other, you have like Tom Wilkinson and a sporting performance is Professor J- Lyndon Johnson. Professor. Professor Lyndon Johnson. Professor Lyndon Johnson, you know. <laughs> Professor LBJ. <laughs> Professor LBJ. I had him for Chemistry 101. Ah. Uh, no, well, his, he does a fantastic job as well. Tim Roth's in here. There's so many great things about this movie. I was walking out just ecstatic on the fact that this, this movie, like, got made within a very short amount of time, I understand. Like, she had to turn this around pretty quickly. And it's just it's just so well done. The movie this past May. Yeah, right. And, which is just, uh, I mean, most movies take you know eighteen months between shooting, post production, turn around, and they're not that good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like this is probably going to come up again. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll probably I'll save some other things that I might want to say for both that and probably the you know the other podcast that we do on the entire film of Selma. But yeah, Selma is my number four film of 2014. Okay. I, I want to add one thing. Yeah. Okay. So as as scary as the Babadook was, the most I jumped in the entire year is that horrific bombing of the mm. 16th Street Baptist Church mm-hmm. that they represent in this film, and it comes early on. That there's something about that. I mean, and they, the way they do the scene, there's these pretty girls and their Sunday best, and then it, the scene is interrupted by this deafening blast and I, I i mean i literally leaped out of my seat in that scene and i sort of had an idea of like what was coming but i still like you still like when i watch a movie i try to just like put myself in the moment and let the filmmaker lead me to what they want to do so i i was surprised and it's just I, that was a moment that it still stays with me and it actually sits with you through the whole film and it's you know, you you you, you watch it, and it, right from the start, you're you're angry because you you, you know it's just the the loss of hu- the ridiculous loss of human life, and it's I don't know it's that's it's just it was a very powerful start to a film um, that is yeah, I agree is was extraordinary for sure. All right, let's get to our number threes here, Maxwell. What is your number three film? All right, my number three is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Who are you? I'm Zero, sir. The new lobby boy. Zero, you say? Yes, sir. Well, I've never heard of you. Never laid eyes on you. Who hired you? Mr. Mosher, sir. Mr. Mosher? Yes, Monsieur Gustav. Am I to understand you've surreptitiously hired this young man in the position of a lobby boy? He's been engaged for a trial period, pending your approval, of course. Uh, perhaps, yes. Thank you, Mr. Mosher. You're most welcome, Monsieur Gustav. 
You're now going to be officially interviewed. Should I go and light the candle first, sir? What? No. Experience. Hotel Kinski, kitchen boy, six months. Hotel Berlitz, mop and broom boy, three months. Before that, I was a skillet scrubber. Experience in the zero. Thank you again, Mr. Gustav. Straighten that cap, Anatol. The pleasure's mine, Herr Schneider. Mr. Asbusters. These are not acceptable. I fully agree. Education. I studied reading and spelling. I started my primary school. I almost finished. Education, zero. Now it's exploded. Good morning, Cicero. Call the goddamn plumber. This afternoon, Monsieur Gustav. Will that fail for our lead? What on the hell is this? Not now. Family. Zero. Six, you go. You know, I don't have too much more to say about it uh, beyond what you already said, Aaron. It's just, you know, Wes Anderson continues to delight. Whimsical, playful, wonderful. Ray Fiennes is just fantastic. Um, It's so, so joyous and and so perfectly designed. But beyond that, there's also this sort of... uh, this melancholy feeling about um, the, 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 the structure of the film, which is sort of like a story within a story within a story, allows her to sort of be this reflection. Um, and, and in this regard, it has some parallels to Ida about a portrayal of a, of a, a fictional country, yes, but on, on the verge of war. Um, and, and the desire to maintain elegance and, and things that are wonderful, even in the face of this this pending war it's really just you know it, it, as funny and wonderful as it, it leaves you um with with this lingering feeling and, and what i like too is i think um uh you know m gustav ray fine's character is a perfect stand-in for wes anderson himself sort of the orchestrator of, of all of this it's just wonderful and i've watched it many times to watch it over and over again the whole ensemble is great i, I could just wax poetic about it it's just just lovely Mark, what is your number three film? So my number three film is Boyhood. And this is probably, arguably, is the most critically acclaimed movie of the year, and with good reason. Um, Richard Linkletter does this extraordinary thing where he films essentially a, a, a detail in the life of this family over 12 years, and he actually does it by filming over the course of 12 years. And that... Uh, is definitely a big part of of this film. It's it's definitely something um, that I think adds to the power of of what's being presented here. And it's a stunning level of characterization. The movie is called Boyhood, but it could have easily been called Motherhood or Fatherhood or Sisterhood. It's it's all about these different characters in the family and how they develop and change throughout the course of the film. And it's it, it's just, I mean, it, it's I believe it's almost three hours. It's a very long film. I didn't feel, uh, feel one minute of that. It, it went by in a second, and I was totally captivated from the beginning it started to the very last frame. It's filled with little vignettes about life that ring true, and one after the other. And by the end of the film, you say, yeah, this is a life. And this presents what, you know, living is about and and it's just something that i think really spoke to me and it it obviously spoke to a lot of people because a lot of people have have uh named this as like the best film of the year and and i would not argue with that because i i think it was extraordinary abe what is your number three film of the year my number three film of the year is the lego movie because everything is awesome though there's so much to take in about this movie there's like sight gags there's line gags there's 
pretty much a comedy mixed with a really, really sweet and dedicated little vignette there in the end there about being yourself um, and just having the courage to go ahead and explore the world as you normally would, as you as you should see it as, from a child's perspective, as an adult, like learning to be a child again. Um, but in terms of what you said about Phil Lord and Chris Miller, those guys are just knocking it out of the park with every movie that they've done so far. And again, I enjoyed the the uh, Cloud of the Chance of Meatballs. I saw that after it came out of theaters, um, and I was thinking to myself, I made a mistake. I should have seen this movie in theaters. Uh, everything that they've done since is very well done. But again, the Lego movie is something that you watch it again, and there's probably some more sight gags that you may have missed. Um, it's just very clever in the way they did things. Like Again, we talked about this in the review, but somebody had to mention to me that all those numbers that, that you're seeing on the screen are just the part numbers for all the Lego characters or for all the Lego pieces. Um, whenever they're in like Old Town or old, the Old Western Town, the, the scribe is the, uh, the way that the town is set up. And again, a lot of different characters in here, but a lot of different com- comedic beats as well. So I definitely, definitely enjoyed the Lego movie. I just watched it again with my nieces just over two weekends ago, and uh, I still enjoyed it. So everything is indeed awesome. My number three film is Nightcrawler. Uh, this is the film we've talked about already on this podcast. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is amazing in this movie, no doubt about that. Um, he... he he, he, he did so he lost weight he changed the way he looked to make this role work and it shows the, the robert ellswood's cinematography of la it's the best looking la movie of the year easily i just love everything about this movie i was so not necessarily surprised but just so like taken aback by how much i like this movie like i saw it at an early screening it's this good. I can't believe how good this is. <laughs> like, and I was, like, I've already enjoyed Gyllenhaal a lot. I, like, I tend to call Gyllenhaal like one of the best actors of his uh, of his generation. And uh, between this and Enemy and uh, Prisoners from last year, where the movie is okay, but he's really good in it. Like, I mean, he, among the many other roles he's done since then, th- somehow he's he's done this movie where he like towers over his other already great performances. And he's not even that old. Like he still has so many, so much more in him. Like I look forward to see what, what where Jake Gyllenhaal's career goes. Agreed. And this movie. I mean, I I love thinking about this movie. I loved. I, I've seen it a couple times at this point. I love the kind of atmosphere, the mood. I love the satire involved here. I love getting Rene Russo's character involved and how he and how she and Gyllenhaal they interact and how he and Riz Ahmed's character interact. There's a climactic car chase. That's one of the more organic car chases I've seen in a long time where it's just like, this happened, and it makes a lot of sense why this happened. Like, there's just so many things about it. Such a great-looking movie. I love the score by James Newton Howard. Everything about this movie I love. And there's so, it's such a kind of a a scuzzy movie. Like, you don't necessarily feel great about yourself after it's done, but at the oh. same time, it's like, this is so interesting to watch, and I just want to, like, I want to know more about this man. Like, what's going on with this person? And it's such a such a trip to see like basically like what the year's biggest anti-hero i guess would be a good way to put it i mean he's it's it's just a fantastic fantastic movie i love nightcrawler that's my my number three and some other still two movies that are better than it like (laughs) it's ridiculous i wonder what they are yeah right Hmm. i Uh, think i have a pretty good idea you try to piece it together (laughs) (laughs) so yeah all right with that out of the way abe let's do a little at now feedback Feedback, feedback, feedback. Uh, we've, of course, this is our top ten episode, and we decided to um, ask a few questions that reflect on the top ten of the year and just, you know, the movies of the year and see what our listeners had to say about that. So, Abe, sure. 
Yeah, so the first question we asked is, what is everyone's favorite film of 2014? Philip Hurd has, of the movies I've seen and rewatched, Winter Soldier and the Lego movie are the ones that I hold up most. I want to see the Grand Budapest Hotel again, and I think I'll have a, I'll like it even more the second time. Uh, Matthew Marks writes, wow, not sure if I even saw 10 films or at least 10 2014 films this year uh, with a new baby. In no particular order, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and The Hobbit. Congrats on a new baby. Yeah, congratulations. Jump to Gen- Yeah. <laughs> Chub Toad Sheldon writes Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America 2, X-Men Days of Future Past, Lego Movie, Mockingjay Part 1, Interstellar, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and Gone Girl. Uh, friend of the show, Ruben, uh, writes Guardians of the Galaxy and Boyhood. Justin writes Guardians of the Galaxy, Live, Die, Repeat, uh, Big Hero 6, Box Trolls, hey. The Signal. Hey. Yeah. After watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles several times uh, with my son, I have to say that I like it, but it doesn't hold up. Uh, friend of the show, Susan Moore, which... She needs to get back on the show, by the way. Right. Yeah. Don the Planet of the Apes, X-Men, Days of Future Past, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Hobbit 3, and Edge of Tomorrow. Mike Jones writes, Guardians of the Galaxy. And lastly, Tyler writes, Everything was awesome. Just kidding. A lot of films suck this year. Uh, But some highlights are definitely The Lego Movie, Chef, Edge of Tomorrow, Live to Repeat, Gone Girl, and The Interview. So thank you guys for that. And we always love hearing your feedback. Yeah. We also asked, uh, what 2014 films out there are out there that you want to highlight for a certain reason. Not necessarily as a favorite, but one that had just something you really want to praise. And uh, Manish has Gone Girl, Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, Nightcrawler are pretty great. Uh, but Wild holds a special place. Uh, Justin writes, Edge of Tomorrow, so underrated, but a really great film. Philip has, Believe Me, was an unambiguous Christian film that could be turning a point as far as bridging the quality gap. I thought it was genuinely funny. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't hear of that movie. Yeah, but, you know, we have had a lot of, I mean, we had, we had what, Heaven, Heaven is for Real and God's Not Dead. Those movies came out this year and they were like big yeah. hits, but obviously not necessarily beloved by all. And so, so hearing one that Philip seems to re- generally regard as, you know, better, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, Ruben's, Ruben puts um, Godzilla. Seeing it at Grauman's Chinese Theater with all the cheering was very special. Um, Adam says it has to be Snowpiercer. I am glad the Weinsteins did not alter the film. George writes, John Wick was such a great action flick. The gun usage and shot placement was very unique and refreshing. The film I'm most eager to see again. And lastly, April writes, for me it would be Locke. How Tom Hardy was able to command the screen for the whole movie I think was a master class. Mm. Yeah, Tom Hardy is fantastic in Locke. I completely agree. All right. So yeah, that's, uh, Thank you for that. Yeah, that's our round of feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And before we get to our uh, our number two and more, we got another couple. Uh, well, we got another guest here, so I'm just going to play that one right now. All right, I'm here with uh, Philip Price from ReviewsFromABed.net, and he's going to go over his top ten films of 2014 with us. So, Philip? Thank you very much. Uh, starting with number ten is Interstellar. Boyhood is my number nine. Number eight, I have The Rover. Number seven is Get On Up. Number six is Nightcrawler. Gone Girl is at number five. At number four, I have Birdman. Number three is The Grand Budapest Hotel. At number two, I have Whiplash. And in my number one spot, I have Calvary. Great. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you, guys. All right. So thanks for that. And now let's get to our number two picks for 2014. Maxwell, what is your number two film? All right. My number two film is Wild. This was a a film I did not see coming. Um, I didn't particularly care for Jean-Marc Vallée's previous film, The Dallas Buyers Club. Um, I, I was okay with... The young Victoria, but he's not a director who, you know, I had much of an impression on, and I, I had not read the book that this was based upon. 
And to me, those are oftentimes the most rewarding cinematic experiences where you go into something and you're just like, okay, let's see what it is. And this really kind of blew me away. Um, I, I felt like this film took me on a spiritual journey um, that's a uh, few other films I've seen in theaters in the past couple of years replicated. Um, the movie just has this, um, it's sort of like a, a visual poem and it follows uh, Reese Witherspoon, who is just fantastic. Her character, uh, as she hikes across the Pacific Crest Trail, she hikes about uh, a thousand miles over 94 days and the film is structured and edited so perfectly in a way that sort of makes her physical journey a parallel to the journey of her soul. Um, this isn't one of those movies uh, where it's sort of like a, a privileged, you know, you know, person who, you know, decides to throw everything away and explore. This is a woman who is deeply troubled, uh, a drug addict, you know, a sex addict. Um, with a, dead parents, no money, who really needs to to take a, a risk to to find herself. And along the way, while she she does try to find herself, I, I just had this, like I said, this spiritual experience that I, I can barely articulate. It just sort of knocked me out. I, I really liked Wild Swell, Maxwell. I'm, that's need to see it. number two of your films yeah i think reese witherspoon is quite terrific in this movie and so is laura Dern as her mother as well and yeah i really i i agree with you where i wasn't huge on the dallas bio but i did like the movie the acting is certainly you know what elevated it but yeah i felt like this was a much better effort from marching valley so that in mind what, yeah well i was gonna say one of the interesting things about wild there were scenes where i thought something really horrible was going to happen and then, and then it, it didn't. And I was glad it didn't. Like I was like, oh, good. It's like things turned out for her well. But there were she would meet people on the trail, and I thought, oh no, this is going to devolve into something really horrible. And then you know, it, it sort of like turned out for the better. And it, so I, I was surprised by that. I was actually sort of expecting things to like be a little bit more um, harrowing. That's something I enjoyed actually. Where like everyone that she encounters is was nice. It was nice, yeah. With like the exception of one particular thing, there was like everyone's just there to either support her or like give her like a boost in confidence or something like of that nature, which was on the on the hiking portion of the film, like then, which was really interesting to see. Yeah, like the 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 obstacles were based in her own mind as opposed to physical. Exactly, and then that's you know what I connected uh, so much to. Okay, so Mark, what is your number two film of 2014? My number two film is Snowpiercer. And Snowpiercer is the greatest kind of picture. It's intelligent, um, well-crafted action that entertains with this sort of loopy imagination. And it's politically provocative. It's an ensemble piece. Um, it sort of manipulates the medium in sort of impressive ways that sort of captivates the mind, but then it's very visually dazzling. So the production design is extraordinary. It reminded me a little bit of Brazil, and one of uh, one of the characters actually kind of harkens back to the the uh, John Hurt's character is named Gilliam, which the director of Brazil is Terry Gilliam, and I don't think that's a mistake. Yeah. So that that sort of and I got that from the film. It it's just got this sort of it's just, I mean, it's so cinematically amazing. And there's multiple scenes. There's a, a fight scene in the dark that's, like, really uncomfortable. There's the classroom scene that was mentioned earlier 
Um, there's Tilda Swinton's performance about the sh- the shoe goes on the foot and you're the foot. And so uh, Tilda Swinton's performance was also in, you know incredible. Uh, and Chris Evans is is also a, a magnetic lead. Um, I I loved everything about this film, and it, it was talked about earlier already. Um, it's obviously my number two, so it's something I really responded to. I, I thought it was definitely a film for the ages. Abe, what is your number two film? My number two film of the year is The Grand Budapest Hotel. Much has been said about this movie already, uh, but what I love about it is it's such a strong Wes Anderson movie. It takes a lot of his... Uh, it feels a little bit more, I guess, uh, accessible to some degree, which is unfortunate because he's made a lot of very accessible films like uh, uh, Royal Tenenbaums and also people love Moonrise Kingdom, but everyone seemed to be lining up to go see this one. And you know, if you if this is the first one that you've seen, I'm very happy to announce that there are other movies much very very much like this one that you can also see for Wes Anderson. It's very colorful, it's very funny, and it's very odd all at once. The side characters are all great. Um, the emotional beats of this movie. Are, Hit me the second time around, uh, probably because I was able to pay more attention to the story rather than the visual aspect of things. But on the whole, I like Wes Anderson a lot. I like what he did with this one. And Ray Fiennes, good on him. Like A lot of great acting from him. A lot of comedic stuff that I didn't really expect. He is, like, terrific in this movie. Like, I really want him to get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> just a nomination would be great, yeah. I mean, like, there's a part where he gets so frustrated at the end there. He's just like, uh, where they're chasing this dude yeah, in a monastery. Yeah, they keep, like, repeating the same line, like, line again. Yeah. Then he just starts, like, swearing. Yeah, he just starts swearing out of nowhere. It's like... Well, there, there's that part kind of early on when they're, when him and, and Zero are on their first train ride. Mm-hmm. And, and he's sort of waxing eloquently about, you know keeping things sophisticated and elegant and then he's just like ah eff it yeah his his, <laughs> his his timing on that is just absolutely perfect yeah i just i want this movie to get so much love from the I want to, from the academy for a change and not just be like another wes anderson movie that like everyone really liked but you know screenplay good that's on you yeah. <laughs> well there's a very good chance it's going to get nominated for best picture oh for sure yeah i'm very great. aware yeah. of that like it hasn't it certainly has not been forgotten and, I'm and, very happy and about that. i actually was tweeting about this recently but the fact that it was released back in march and that it's becoming a very strong contender for best picture really i don't know i i like to see that because it's like does everything have to be released in you know november and december in order to, yeah. to win an academy award well, and same and with this with, oh this one no go ahead i was gonna say same with boyhood which was in july yeah you know both of them are sort of unassuming in their release and just because of their quality have been just remembered and talked about right so I, and I like to see that, and I, I and I'm, uh, I'll, I will, I will say that Grand Budapest Hotel didn't make my top ten, but uh, it, it, the only reason is because Wes Anderson is such a strong director, and it's, it's not like my, my favorite Wes Anderson film, but it's, even the worst Wes Anderson film, uh, is extraordinary. So I, I, I love to see all the love that it's getting, and I sort of feel like. I mean, I, Wes Anderson has always been a critical fave. It seems like this movie caught on with the masses a little bit more than others, and it's like, okay, welcome to the party. I've been a fan of right. Wes Anderson since, since Bottle Rocket. Uh, getting back to the top ten, my uh, number two is – or whose turn is it? Is it my Yours. Turn? It's my yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's yours. Um, yeah. I got lost track. My number two is Birdman. Dad. Dad. Hey. Are you okay? Why? You seem sort of... No, I'm good. I'm good. This is good. 
You want some? No. Mm. Okay. Do you really think you'll be ready for opening tomorrow? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, previews are pretty much a train wreck. We can't seem to get through a performance without a raging fire or a raging heart on. I'm broke. I'm not sleeping, like, you know, at all. And uh, this play kind of starting to feel like a miniature deformed version of myself that just keeps following me around and like hitting me in the balls with a like a tiny little hammer. I'm sorry, what was the question? Never mind. Narrows down what my number one is, obviously, but yes, I, I love this movie. Um, Birdman, I was looking forward to it from the second I heard about it, and it delivered completely once I you know, saw it. Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, he's stepped back from making very a very depressing movies and just stepped into this kind of like bizarre comedy mode that's part satire, part comedy, part dark comedy, part drama, part everything. Like it tackles a lot of things, and even if it doesn't nail everything in like the most amazing way possible, it still does everything really, really, really well. Michael Keaton's terrific here. Edward Norton's great here. The whole supporting cast is fantastic in this movie. The 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 visual styling by Emmanuel Lebeski and the editors involved, making you know seamless edits throughout this film to make it look like this kind of this this one shot wonder that spans weeks. It's in, it's imp- it's very impressive. It, it, this so much so many things about this movie work so well. I was so engaged by it. I found it such a kind of ambitious piece of work where you follow this actor who's trying to put it, he's putting everything out there and trying to see if it works for him. And it's this kind of meditation on these, on, on the kind of theater versus celebrity blockbuster culture mixed with all these other things about, you know, the life of a person and, you know, how he's messed up things. And the, just so much, so much stuff's taking place here. And I loved it all. I was so tr- transfixed by this movie and it's all pulled together by this, this wonderful drum score that's been yeah. disqualified by the Academy, of course. What? <laughs> so no Oscar for Birdman score, but yeah, no Birdman, just a, a wonderfully bizarre movie that I was really happy to embrace. And, and one that has this kind of, this it's its own vibe that I really dug, and it gets to this kind of ending that I love. It's ambigu- ambiguity, and I love dissecting it and talking about it and going into it in different ways and approaching it from different angles. There's so many things here that just just make me really, you know, love the fact that we got a film like this that's doing fairly well. Like I'm ha- like it's a small film, but it's you know it's making it's making some money, and that you know makes me happy. It's you know get, it's got a significant release for what it is, and it's people are accepting it. So yeah, Birdman is my number two film. Let's. How am I gonna do that? Let's. Let's. Uh. Okay. So let's get to the last couple. Um. The the last couple of recordings I have here. Let's play those right now. Okay. So now we have Alan Aguilera, and he's gonna list out his top ten films of 2014. Alrighty. My top ten. Um. The back end ten. Ten through six is essentially can go in any order. It's gonna be Lego Movie, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Grand Budapest Hotel, Fury, The Raid Two. Number five is gonna be Guardians of the Galaxy. Number four is going to be Boyhood. Number three is Rosewater. Number two will be Chef. And number one is Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Great. Thanks, Alan. All right. So now I'm here with Brandon Peters from the NaptownNerd.blogspot.com and, of course, Why So Blue. And he's going to list us his 10 favorite films from 2014. So take it away. Thanks, Aaron. It was a it was another good year with a lot of great films. But uh, my 10, if I had to break it down to it, um, would be at number 10, Yodorowsky's Dune. 
Uh, number nine, uh, the Congress, or also known as Robin Wright at the Congress. Uh, number eight, Birdman. Number seven, The Guest. Number six, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number five, Blue Ruin. Number four, Snowpiercer. Number three, Nightcrawler. Number two, Boyhood. And number one, Interstellar, which I didn't really know what my number one was going to be until I sat down to make a list. So it was a surprise to me. You know, I, I kind of had this bunch that I liked a, almost equally, but I went with like an experience factor for my number one. But all these, there's plenty of them that can switch around and some that didn't make the 10 that could be put in there tomorrow. So that's my list. Now we're back. We're getting to our number ones. And so how I want you guys to approach this, Maxwell, I want you to go, I want you to list your, your five through two again, and then go into what your number one film is. Uh, well, starting with five, we had Nightcrawler. Four, we had Foxcatcher. Three, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Two was Wild. And number one is Tusk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Whoa! Like, yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> Freaked me out. My, <laughs> my uh, number one film of the year is Selma. As long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, no more, no more. That means protest. That means march. That means disturb the peace. That means jail. That means risk. And that is hard. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. We're not asking. We're demanding. Give us the vote. Aaron already talked uh, quite a bit about what what I I loved about this film. Um, I had tears in my eyes for the entire duration of the film. Ava DuVernay has come out loud and proud as an incredible filmmaker. I, I had seen Middle of Nowhere and enjoyed it, and this is just tremendous. The passion, the intelligence, the nuance with which this film is is made is just incredible. And, and like Aaron was saying, to me, the best biopics are always the ones that take a, a sliver of the life of an individual and focus on that, because then within that sliver, you can really examine who they were as a person. I don't need to see them as a child and them as a teenager and this and that, you end up with a sort of pastiche that doesn't add up to anything. But in this film, you get this beautiful portrait of Martin Luther King Jr. as a flawed man. And David Oyelowo is just tremendous. But even more than that, this is a beautiful, inspiring, maddeningly angering portrait of the civil rights movement at a time where we need to be reminded of this. We need to watch this. It's vital. Um, the film, the the cinematography by Bradford Young, his use of light and shadow and the way that Martin Luther King is framed in certain shots make him almost seem larger than life. It's just an incredible film that moved me deeply. I don't like to, to say this about a lot of movies, but I think it's an important movie. Uh, I think people need to see it and watch it and it should be shown in schools, not just because of, of, of uh, you know, what it what it represents in the history of it, because it's so good. I think it really has the power to move people, and I hope when it goes wide this upcoming weekend, you go see it if you haven't already. I certainly echo the important aspect of the film. I do think that is a very necessary term to apply to it. 
Um, and yeah, you know, putting it in schools and whatnot, that's, you know, certainly given the movies that I saw when I was in school that are, you know, historically, you know, significant or whatnot, Selma certainly fits that to the T and even more so in a lot of cases compared to some of the other movies I've seen. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it is a truly fantastic effort and I think it does, it does, it does a lot right for, you know, kind of the, how, regardless of how kind of timely the release is, it does a lot right for the current climates and what you can see in a movie like this. Right. I mean, it, it would already be a powerful film. However, the parallels between the police response to the marches and Ferguson, Missouri, you can't deny those. And so that yep. kind of stuff elevates this even to another level that sort of makes it even more relevant. Right. And, and normally... Add... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, normally I, I wouldn't even necessarily hark so much on the parallels um, you know, I would let the film exist within its own context, except for the fact that the song Glory that plays over the end credits, which is a collaboration between Common, who's in the film, and John Legend, mentions Ferguson in it. Mm -hmm. So the film has irrevocably tied itself to these actions, um, and, and, and as it should, because it, it, the parallels are so uh, just prevalent. And I was going to say, I would add more to this, but I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> so... Kind of like a, a caveat uh, asterisk to my to my list there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we look forward to you know when you do see it, we'll talk about it, Abe. And of course, and if you you know find yourself thinking, you know what, I'm going to put this in my list, I'll accept that because you know it's our show. So. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Because yeah, the other only veto vote would be me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with that said, Mark, why don't you list your top five again and get to your number one? Okay. So at number five, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number four, Nightcrawler. Number three, Boyhood. Number two, Snowpiercer. And at number one, Under the Skin. There it is. And this isn't a challenging movie to follow, but it does challenge the viewer. And for that reason, I think it's a very controversial choice. It is very critically acclaimed. However, there's a lot of people that hate this movie. And actually, that just makes me love it more because it's not something that's easily understood. And what it says about humanity is so profound. It is. It makes this film probably one of the, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to pick, like, you know, when you're ranking films of all time. But it's definitely a film that will always be listed in my, my very large list of great films. Um, it sort of starts out, and I'm not going to reveal anything about this film because I think part of it is the joy of discovery. But what I will say is it's about this mysterious young woman who drives a van along the Scottish Highlands picking up men. And she sort of preys on these unassuming gentlemen, um, ostensibly for sexual encounters. And the way that these sort of interactions play out is mesmerizing. The, the way that the uh, cinema is displayed and, and how these encounters happen is is so bizarre and the scenes are like very odd and it it plays out into the story that you start to sort of realize like more and more about who this seductress is and you know her little interactions with the guys are start out very sort of flirtatious with where are you going and do you have a family are you single and at first, you're not even sure why she's asking these questions. And by the end of the film, you understand why she was asking these questions and, and who she was. And, and the film makes such a statement about what it means to be human and 
and it's just it's so profound it's hard for me to explain i actually i saw it once and then i remember i i i ended up actually going to the theater to see it again because i liked it so much and i remember uh, i check i always check into the facebook when i uh see movies and aaron's like you're watching it again <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. Which is an odd question from you because you watch movies like ten times. Yeah, but, but you don't. That's why I asked. I don't. Well, I, I saw so I saw two movies twice this year in the theater, and they're both my number one and number two picks. It was Under the Skin and, and Snowpiercer. So that kind of you know, and I never forgot this film. So I mean, that's really all I'll say about it. I'm not going to go. I don't want to reveal details about the film because I think it's better to just uh, to watch it and let it unfold. But I mean, there's like a there's a scene where she's eating a piece of cake and I can't explain why it's profound, but she so desperately wants to eat a piece of cake. And, you know, it's just it was heartbreaking. I mean, I really and there's a there's an encounter she has with another gentleman later on in the film and or a, an interaction and he's disfigured. And that interaction is a, a scene that I will never forget. So if, for all these reasons, this is my number one pick. And whenever I, I, I it's it's one of these films that I, I've seen on a lot of critics have picked it as their number one film. So I'm not I'm not unique in doing that. However, there's a lot of people that pick this as like the movie they hate the most. And, and I've had I've gotten a lot of hate for for picking it as my number one pick. But uh, it makes me like it more. It's like it, it, that's fine. You don't like it. Fine. You, you don't understand it. And I can't. I can't explain to you. I mean, I've I've done the best I could right now, but the, I just I loved it. And Scarlett Johansson, her performance also is extraordinary. It's it's almost a wordless performance, and it's it's very poetic. It's almost nonverbal. The entire the whole film is almost nonverbal. And in that sense, it's if if you're trying to liken it to a film, it's a little bit like 2001: A Space Odyssey. If you want to sort of categorize this experience there's a Kubrickian aspect there yeah for sure yeah so that's like if somebody says to you well I don't even get it there's like no story it's just nothing no there there is a story and if you if you really look beneath the layers it actually says one of the most profound things about what it is to be a human being yeah the um I really like under. I've seen it three times at this point. I, I three times I, I want to like it more but I certainly so, so you've you've seen it more me. Yeah, but I and I and I because I try to appreciate it more and more. I certainly like talking about it and like thinking about it. Um, and I feel like if I had like an eternal amount of time to really think about every top ten list I do, this would probably be on there. But with that in mind, you're right in saying a lot of people have picked this on their you know their their best of lists. Like and you can see on Metacritic, I think next to Boyhood, it's um, like the most listed as the you know number one pick. Um, yeah, it's, it's significantly lower though. Boyhood is like out far and away the oh, number yeah. one pick, but yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think it, it there's it is a very fascinating film to watch, especially in kind of the ambition involved in putting this thing kind of thing together, where like it, like new cameras were made for this kind of film to you know to be in order to kind of spy on the like because Scarlett Johansson's character she's interacting with people. Some of them are non actors, and some of them are actors, and it kind right. of it, the way it kind of disguises that so. It, you know, fits better. And Scarlett Johansson has a, had a terrific year, by the way, like next to like Chris she Pratt did, and yeah. among others, like she had, she also had a terrific year between Winter Soldier, this and Lucy. I mean, she was, Tom Wilkinson had a good year too. Yeah. He was in Selma, the Grand Budapest Hotel and Belle. So those are all three movies I love. Uh, 
The only thing I would uh, just add about Under the Skin, since no one mentioned it, is my single favorite aspect of the film is the score. Yes, the oh, score yeah. is mesmerizing. By Michael Levi, and I, I got it on vinyl, and I listened to it, and it just like takes me out of this planet. I yeah. can't even believe I didn't talk about that, but yeah, it's my favorite score of the year. Um, I, I actually I thought maybe later we might discuss scores or something, but uh, yeah, it's it's so haunting, um, and it, it helps kind of get you into the mood of the film because there is I mean she's so there's there's a scene where like this black liquid I just yeah. watch it it's so that's, weird uh, that's why I thought that the word that you use mesmerizing Aaron you use this too but I thought that word was very characteristic it's a very good way to describe when she interacts with these males and uh, again there's this particular piece of music that's played whenever they go back to her apartment and then just the darkness, the emptiness. Yeah. It's it's very yeah, haunting uh, unsettling. Is Haunting's definitely a great word. Yeah, I, I mean, I can hear right now like the the highs and lows of the music. I can too, and I think uh, yeah. I'm I'm currently watching the season of American Horror Story. It feels like it's been very much influenced by that score based uh. on some certain scenes in that in that, yeah. in that series. And it, the only reason it's not my favorite score is because when am I going to listen to this outside this movie? I don't want to <laughs> just terrify myself. Yeah. And visually, there were some really nice things yeah. that they did in the movie as well. I think one of the two the two things that I really liked about uh, this is just examples is uh, in the beginning when she's getting some clothes off somebody, there's like a small little teardrop that falls out of somebody, and I was like, oh, that's kind of sad and depressing. It, at the same it tells time. a lot of story in just like yeah. outside, well, that little movement. And the same thing happens at the end when. Uh, uh, she's looking at uh, another woman, and there's just tears coming out of their, that, that face, too. I think a lot of it relies, too, on the viewer. You have to sort of bring sort of your own experience to it. So it 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 does require you to kind of fill in the blanks. But it, it is there if you, if you look hard enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that in mind, Abe, why don't you go through your top five to your number one? Number five is Birdman before Edge of Tomorrow. Number three, The Lego Movie. Number two, The Grand Budapest Hotel. And number one is Boyhood. Boyhood is like, it's like watching a friend grow up on the screen and then seeing them go off and wondering what happens to them next. It's one of those things, uh, I was kind of sad when it ended because it felt as though I was friends with Mason, Mason Jr., I should say, and I really wanted to know like what happens next. And uh, one of the things I really, really enjoyed about it is that it's called Boyhood, and Mark, you brought this up in terms of like being motherhood and whatever else, but I really enjoyed that it's just the aspect, uh, everything from his point of view. Like, There's some uh, domestic violence things that happen, and you don't really see any of it because it's not anything that he is experiencing firsthand, um, and you kind of just hear through it uh, through side bits and here and there about you know uh, Patricia Arquette, who does an amazing job as the mom, you know, about her head being smashed in by a drunk. It's like very uh, sad, but at the same time, it's just his life growing up and what I enjoyed about it a lot is just that it just feels like any normal conversation that you would have with some other people in your life in terms of talking about like hey is there gonna be another Star Wars movie what'd you think about this girl and I can't believe she doesn't like the three best movies of the summer which are uh, Tropic Thunder uh, Dark Knight and I forget the third Pineapple Express yeah so (laughs) it's it's just I loved it I loved the the way that it's not about like a deadbeat dad and like a you know the the super strong mom even though she's very super strong um but there's just a lot of things to like about it in terms of not really expecting what you would expect out of a movie meaning like you know there's things that you might expect when they go uh, when he's like 12 and they go out to go hang out at a friend's cabin and they're drinking it's like oh well you know well, I expect that something bad is probably going to happen or like somebody's going to get beat up or something like that. Nope, none of that really happens. It's just stuff that you have lived through yourself, which is, you know, if you're cautious and you have a pretty good head on your shoulders and some good common sense, 
you probably have experienced some of these things uh, much the same way that Mason Jr. has. And again, at the end there, when they when they play the song, but it's just very touching. It's very uh, it's very um, sad to see it go. And uh, one of the last things I'll say about it is just the the little speech that Patricia Charquette gives um, when Mason's going off to college. Kind of just hits you like a ton of bricks um, because. There are some people that are above 70 in the second viewing that I saw it at. I've seen the movie about three times now, and they all just shouted audibly, like, yeah, you know, she's very true. Like, she is exactly what she's uh, – they basically just agreed with her in terms of all these milestones in your life. So um, very true to life, and it's kind of one of those things where I do enjoy reading a lot about it, and I do enjoy the – the way that uh, Richard Linklater had gone about making this movie. And I love hearing all the Q&A from all the, the actors and actresses. And um, I just really can't get enough of this movie. I really, really enjoyed this movie immensely. Okay, so I'll go now just because I think we know where this is headed. My number five is the Lego movie. Number four was Selma. Number three was Nightcrawler. Number two was Birdman. And my number one is also Boyhood. Talk to me. Samantha, how was your week? Uh, I don't know, Dad, it was kind of tough. Billy and Ellen broke up, and Ellen's kind of mad at me because she saw me talking to Billy in the cafeteria. And you remember that sculpture I was working on? Well, it was a unicorn, and the horn broke off, so now it's a zebra, okay? But I still think I'm going to get an A, right? Mason, uh, how was your week? Well, Dad, you know, it was kind of tough. Joe, he's kind of a jerk. Actually, he stole some cigarettes from his mom, and he wanted me to smoke them. But I said no, because I knew what a hard time you had quitting smoking, Dad. How about that? Is that so hard? Dad, these questions are kind of hard to answer. What is so hard to answer about what sculpture are you making? It's abstract. Okay, okay, that's good. See, that's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were even interested in abstract art. I'm not. They make us do it. But, Dad, I mean, why is it all on us, though? You know, what about you? How was your week? You know, who do you hang out with? Do you have a girlfriend? What have you been up to? I see your point. So we should just let it happen more naturally, right? That's what you're saying. Okay, that's what we'll do. Starting now. I, the, the, so, I think I've mentioned this before. I saw the trailer for this movie after I saw Boyhood, after I saw the, the whole movie. And what I loved about seeing the trailer was that it felt like I was watching home movies of this kid I grew up with. Like, it, it has this kind of effect where it's like, that's that boy, and he grew up, and now he's all old, and I'm like, oh my god. And getting this just such a, such a strong emotional vibe from just the trailer of this three-hour movie that I've seen, and I've seen it three times now, mm-hmm. um, it's like, that's amazing that it can do that to me, where I, I feel like I've gr- I've literally grown up watching this boy grow up and yeah i mean you guys have all we've all talked about it at this point now because it's on all of our top 10 lists it's just a, i think it's just a terrific achievement i i think it the idea of of making a story shooting it for over 12 years and you know editing it together each year and turning it into this kind of link later style epic it's amazing that it turned out as well as it did it uh it helps that you have i mean you obviously have talented actors like ethan hawk and patricia arquette patricia arquette who's my, my easily my pick for best supporting actors and just one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, but then you also have Lorelai Linklater, Richard Linklater's daughter, and of course the you know the the, the ostensible lead of the film, Ella Coltrane as Mason Jr. It helps that they you know are not only like they embody these characters, but they're they're very convincing is what they're, what they're doing. At least I found them to be, and it's great that it paid off essentially. Where you get you know you see the younger version of these char- characters and it's like okay. You get you get where they're coming from. They're kids. They do whatever, and then you get to see them old, grow up and develop and become older and older and have you know thinking from themselves and whatnot. And you can, you can just really see them just investing themselves into these characters at this point. In the same way you see obviously Arquette and 
hawk investing themselves and everything about it i just really loved i love watching the story it flies by for me i i it's not about like being in the right state of state of mind or whatever i just feel like this is a, just a great accomplishment that i'm happy to watch over and over again it has elements that i can relate to it has elements that i find humorous that i find dramatic that i understand it's a, just a, it's it's not focused on these kind of like giant moments that really seem very theatrical or whatnot. It just feels like life being shown, and that's what Linklater has been able to do in a lot of his movies. I mean, the Before trilogy obviously speaks to that, but these this Boyhood film, like it's just it's just amazing to me. I just and I it it wasn't hard for me to choose this as my number one film. Everything else is like all right, I can figure out the rankings on this, but this is the one that easily stuck with me since seeing it for the first time in I think like beginning of early June or something like that, and it's just worked it just worked completely for me so it's my favorite film of the year boyhood yeah family of the year is the band that i was talking about yeah <laughs> their song thank is you. hero thank you <laughs> it's a good song it's a good soundtrack i mean the the use of music solid this, the yeah. use of music in this movie is pretty fantastic in a way it's kind of a the whole film works as this kind of time capsule and the music certainly embodies that and richard linklater has always been very good at using music in his films hmm all right. We did it. <laughs> so we got to the top. We did it. Let's, I guess we can do some honorable mention stuff. You guys have honorable mentions? I assume you do. Yeah. All right. Maxwell, what, do you have, what honorable mentions do you have? All right. I'll, <clears throat> I'll just stick to five honorable mentions. Um, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Whiplash, Chef, The Guest, and Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Mark? Uh, I'm going to just list 10, but I'll, I'll do it really quickly. Uh, so starting at t- 11, Big Eyes, The Skeleton Twins, Chef, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Whiplash, Birdman, Selma, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Belle, and The Immigrant. Oh, The Immigrant is good. The other ones suck, though. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Like it's it's because it's the one film no one talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I really like Mary and Cody Art. I, I understood film. what Maxwell was saying. I, I like Cody Art in that film quite a bit. Yeah, she's terrific. She's always good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm dying to see Two Days, One Night. I still haven't seen that. I am too, yeah. And that's who, 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 who's the, who are the directors on there? Dardenne the, Brothers. The Dardenne Brothers, right? Yeah. And I really love Kid with a Bike, their last film. So. Abe, what are your honorable mentions? In no particular order, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Top 5, The Raid 2, Donald the Pen of the Apes, Only Lovers Left Alive, Chef, Frank, uh, Net Crawler, and How to Train Your Dragon 2. I really love Frank, by the way. Abe. <laughs> it's, 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 I, I, made it, I made a whole Top 30. Uh, I'm not going to read all of them. I'll just go through by I'll go through the, I'll go through 20 through 11 here. Um, <laughs> I have Locke, Edge of Tomorrow, Interstellar, The Congress, Gone Girl, Dear White People, Whiplash, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Enemy, and A Most Violent Year. Mm. The Most Violent Year was really close to being in my top ten, by the way. I I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was it was in there for like the longest time. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm going to watch Budapest more than I'm going to watch Most Violent Year. <laughs> but um, what else can we discuss real quick? I guess. Just thoughts on the year in general, guys? I mean, I certainly think it's a really good move, a year for movies. Yeah, well, I thought, this, I thought yeah, it was a really good year. Was. Yeah, so I I, I kind of was on the boat of, uh, wow, this movie is not, or this year is not as good as last year. But then when I was doing these lists, it kind of just, uh, there are a lot of good movies in it, and a lot of ones that are on my list of top missed in terms of ones that I didn't see in theater, so I wasn't able to contribute to some of the conversation. But, yeah, and there's a lot of uh, very, very excellent movies out there that didn't just come out. During this Oscar run. Any movies in mind that you might have wanted to see, Abe? Oh, a ton. Beyond, beyond like, Selma yeah. and Inherent Vice, are there other... Get On Up, Step Up All In, The One I Love, Blue Ruin, De- Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, The Book of Life, Dear White People, Foxcatcher, Babadook, Wild, Still Alice, Most Violently Here, Life Itself, Inherent <laughs> Vice, Selma, Rosewater, Wild, The Imitation Game, Ida, The Wind Rises, and The Guest. 
Any movies that you guys wanted to see that you missed out on? Well, I want to see a most violent year. I haven't. That's not even out yet, but uh, and I didn't. I didn't get to see the early showings of it, so that's something I'm very yeah, it's excited. Like, it's only on like a few screens now, and it's going to spread wider throughout the month. So yeah, yeah. Few... yeah, I want to see a most violent year. I'd like to see Big Eyes. Mm. Um, I would like to see Enemy, which I just didn't get around to. I think it's streaming um, on uh, Amazon. Yeah, it is. I'll, I'm going to watch it soon. I just. You know, I think time. Maxwell, you might really like Big Eyes. Yeah, I I, uh, I think I might too. I may go see it's, it this week sometime. After your discussion about it last week, I did go see Big Eyes. So get on you guys for convincing me. I uh, um, I want to see American Sniper as well at some point. But for the most part, I felt this year I saw the good majority of what I wanted to before making this list. And, you know, the the thing about a top ten list is if you make it before the, you know, before you get to see everything, but it's the end of the year. You just say mm-hmm. this is the the best films of this year that I saw this year. Yeah. You know, you can sort of qualify it as, as such. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few films I want to see still. There's not... I don't think there's anything here where I think it could have made my top ten if I would have seen. It. Of course, if it did, that means it's a, you know just a really good surprise and yay on me. But yeah, I wanted <laughs> to say I wanted to see Force Majeure. Um, oh yes. I, yeah. I I wanted to see the documentary Citizen Four actually, which I haven't got around to yet. I to see Two Days One Night, Codyard. I, I want to I want to see Leviathan. I'm hearing a lot of great things about that. I wanted to see the the tale of Princess Kagu- Kaguya, uh, the animated the the anime. Feature right. From, I haven't it, heard of that one. Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli. Oh, interesting. It'll be their second to last film, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I will say that Force Majeure, I just saw it, so I didn't really get to talk about it, but it's really good. Any, um, I guess, before we, before we wrap up, and I don't want to end on negatives, so we'll save surprises for the end and anticipate yeah. stuff. But any, <laughs> good idea. Where, where are we at with disappointments and worsts of the, of the year? Um, there are only, you know, I, as you all know, I don't love to hark on the negative, but there are two movies I saw that I would feel comfortable calling the worst, and that's Tusk, which I made a joke about earlier, <laughs> and Winter's Tale, which just has Winter's... to be seen to be believed. It's really yep. just a remarkable <laughs> miracle of shit. Yeah, see, yeah, um, that, that we my... should watch that as an out now extra. That and could just be make a commentary. Yeah, Winter's Tale, because it is a wild. I would love to do movie. that. That's like a perfect riff tracks movie. Yeah, I couldn't even put that on my worst list. Cause, like, there's the movie went all in. Like, it tried. It certainly it it wore its heart on like all of its sleeves. It had there, a lot of there, them. <laughs> there's a certain huge movie star that shows up in a certain role, and I was just cackling. I couldn't believe. Yeah. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> they were trying to go for the cool effect. <laughs> Abe, I'm um, sure yours is Transcendence, right? Yeah, that is my number one worst movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. And then there's like a juggle between the top three. It's like uh, The Judge and Need for Speed. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, you know I really hate Sabotage. And um, I also I'm, I'm, really... Because of you, I didn't watch it. So that's why I was like, oh, thanks, Aaron. I really dislike Sex Tape as well. That would be my number one worst. But, you know, I didn't bother with flip that. a coin and there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hate piling on movies that everyone hates and no one none of you i don't think hate it because you didn't mention it but i just cannot stand transformers uh, age of extinction it was just absolutely awful and uh it has no no plot script direction acting the oppressive length was was the thing that pushes it over the <laughs> over the limit to like the Simple. worst thing interesting way to describe it it's so awful. I I, uh, I can't even begin. I don't even. I mean, I don't even like really talking about it because Dinobots, Mark. Dinobots. Even, uh, and there were no Dinobots. It didn't show up until the very end. They used Dinobots <laughs> to advertise the film, and then it barely is in the film. It's, it's, <laughs> I can't, it's 
I can't. It, it's just a. Ca- I, I don't mean, know. It's you just, don't see Jaws for a lot of the movies. It's, it's a <laughs> the, the whole thing is just. Although a one's classic, one maybe not. And yeah, I just. I mean. Let's move on. Let's, yeah. let's get to disappointments. Right. What are your disappointments? Disappointments in no real particular order. I'd have to say Muppets Most Wanted, um, Godzilla, and Million Dollar Arm. Million Dollar Arm just because the summer box. Your just because it was my dark horse for the summer box office. Is like, come on, guys, you guys let me down hard here. Million <laughs> Dollar Arm. <laughs> I was expecting way more from a Disney movie about baseball. Not in the summer, in between two of the juggernauts of the year. <laughs> but yeah, no, there you go. Okay, moving on. What <laughs> oh, no. Maxwell, do you have any disappointments? Yeah, uh, Inherent Vice, unfortunately, and Mr. Peabody and Sherman, because I am a big fan of uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle and all and those cartoons, and the movie was just really lifeless to me. I, I was hopeful it would be... You know, I, I feel DreamWorks has been on sort of a hot streak, and this was one of their definitely lesser films as a win. Mark? Yeah, well, I, I, didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy either of those, um, but they're not my disappointments because... One, Inherent Vice, uh, it, Paul Thomas Anderson, I was already disillusioned with The Master. Oh, so I see, I thought The Master into, was terrific, so it's, it's tough for me. Right, but right. I, I, but I, I walked into Inherent Vice already with pretty low expectations, and I heard it was sort of like very druggy and all that. So, and then it was exactly just as like, high, so I, that did, wasn't a disappointment. Um, and I didn't expect much of the Sherman one, but uh, but I didn't enjoy it, so I would. Uh, but I, I was I was very disappointed by the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part One. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was just like I I gave it a marginal thumbs up, and I actually I remember as not enjoying the film. And then I looked at my review, and I'm like, oh, I actually gave that a thumbs up. But it it, it just was it was half it was half a film, and it, it and it wasn't much of a film. Um, I wasn't crazy about Noah. I didn't. I don't think I hated it, but it, it was it was a disappointment. Um, Magic in the Moonlight, the Woody Allen movie, was kind yeah. of, blech, you know, especially after uh, Blue Jasmine, which was so extraordinary. And I know Woody Allen goes up and down, but right after on the heels of Blue Jasmine, I was sort of on, on an upswing, so I was kind of hoping that it would be good. And then I did enjoy this film. It's not it's not a film I hated, so I don't want to. I'm leaving it last, but uh, Interstellar. Uh, Christopher Nolan, I think the world of. So uh, going into his films, I uh, think like it's going to be the greatest film of the year, and it it didn't it didn't register. And the first half I was there, but then the second half it deteriorates, and the way it devolves in the end, where he goes into that hospital room and and, and like everyone's acting like they're not even really they didn't act like he's been gone for years, and you're just like acting like he's been just went to the store. It's just none of it like played out the way I wanted it to. So I was very disappointed with the ending. Um, but yeah, that was a disappointment. I have a few disappointments, but I'll just go into one because we're going along and it's the monuments, man. It's um, mm. on my list too. Uh, yeah. I forgot that was this year to be honest. Yeah. Cause it was supposed to be the year before and then it got moved out, which should have been a giant sign that I shouldn't be expecting much from this <laughs> movie, but I did. I was, and it, you know, it sucks that it, you know, wasn't very, wasn't, wasn't, you know, good. <laughs> it, yeah. It didn't feel cohesive. It, it has it has all the elements of a good movie. It's just there's not really much of a movie to tell, which is I see what I see what that problem is and why they had to move it to begin with. It's like we need to edit this to make a movie, and we just don't have one. We have people trying to save art, which is you know a compelling sentence, but not a compelling movie, <laughs> despite all the good mm-hmm. actors and people involved in it. Yeah. It has a score by Alexandra Desplat. 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 <laughs> <laughs> He appreciates that whenever we do it on the on the show. We get forces. Right. 
<laughs> he listens to us. I, I thought maybe that might be enough to to keep it from being the worst. Well, you just he, was, for me, he was the composer of the year by far. Yeah, uh, he's the Grand Budapest, years. Imitation Game, Godzilla, and Monuments Men. Imitation Game, a movie I don't love, but does have a really good score. I certainly agree with that. All right, so let's let's move in. Wrap with this last thing here. Let's talk. Let's talk about most anticipated for 2015. Uh, we don't need to talk. Go into it. We can just kind of name some movies that you know you're really looking forward to. Star Wars. Sorry, yeah. but Star Wars. Probably like a lot of the comic movies. Um, uh, Tomorrowland. Brad Bird's Tomorrowland. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to. Yeah, I just have three to name. It's Star Wars, Tomorrowland, and Mad Max: Fury Road. Those are Mad Max. No <laughs> Furious Seven. Of course, I mean, that's like a given for me. <laughs> I'm like, what? I mean, I don't feel that way, but I'm like, come on, Aaron. That's this like is, my given. Like norm- Normally it would be Star Wars, but it's like, we'll see what J.J. does. But Furious 7, of course, <laughs> <not> J.J. <there. laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the as-yet-untitled Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Cold War uh, movie. Interesting. I, I just hope it remains untitled Cold War Thriller. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> it's like Cameron Crowe's untitled Steven Spielberg Cold War Thriller. <laughs> yeah, but for the most part, anytime those two work together, it's at least worth seeing. But well, uh, what were the? Th- oh, did you mention uh, Avengers: Age of Ult- uh, Ultron? Yeah, yeah sort yeah, of like in the comics. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to. to... You know, be excited for in 2015. And like Tarantino has a new movie, so like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, like some of these are just like whatever. (laughs) There's the new James Bond film, Spectre, Spectre, and there's another Mission Impossible. Uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu has another film that uh, features DiCaprio and Tom Hardy uh, called The Revenant. Mm. Linklater has another movie. That's what I'm the talking about. The non-Grand Theft Auto movie, San Andreas. Yes. Um, <laughs> the double, double dose of Pixar next year with Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur. Both of right. them are released next year? Yep. Yeah, yeah. June and November. Wow. Uh, if, it, if it comes out next year, it's not officially slated yet, but uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence starring Andrew Garfield and Liam Neeson. Um, Guillermo del Toro has Crimson Peak. He's making a haunted house movie, so yes. Wow. Yes, I'm <laughs> Um, Valentine's Day favorite, Fifty Shades of Grey. Of course. I'm actually really looking forward to the, uh, um, the new film from Jonathan Levine that sees him reteaming with Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, I love Fifty Fifty, and this is a, a Christmas-themed uh, movie, um, and Jews make the best Christmas movies, so count me in. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and also a, a personal uh, note, I know Aaron will vehemently disagree, but Pitch Perfect 2. I don't disagree. I just don't, you know, I'm not excited about it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's disagreeing. I'm excited. You're not excited. That's the definition. Uh, well, of I'm, not going to, I'm, not, I'm not boycotting the damn movie. <laughs> you, you He's going to tap Anna, his feet when they start singing. You loved Anna Kendrick in uh, Into the Woods, though. I like Anna She's, Kendrick in most things. I like her in so, Pittsburgh. I just don't like the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Anna Kendrick, the um, film adaptation of the musical The Last Five Years comes out Valentine's Day. There's, of course, Take 3 coming out this week. Take, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And uh, also, um, I'm hearing very good things about Kingsman, The Secret Service. Oh, so. that just looks like a lot of fun. That, yeah. yeah, seriously, it does, yeah. It looks like Sam Jackson's going to have a lot of fun in the movie, too. I'm a, I'm a, uh, a fan of Matthew Vaughn. I, yeah, think, Matthew he knows, Vaughn, yeah. I think he knows what's up, for the yeah. most I love Stardust. Yeah, Stardust and his first hey, class movie. Yeah, and, uh, favorite X-Men movie directors. Kick-Ass. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's done some good things. Yes. And Layer Cake, of course, as well. Oh yeah, Larry King. With Ever Bond since Larry King, I wanted to see him direct a James Bond movie, and Kingsman sort of seems like his like f you to that idea. He's like, well, they didn't give me Bond, so I'll do this. Instead. Well, yeah, he's got that. Like Nolan had Inception. They all made their own Bond movies. Right. Even Spielberg made a 
Temple of Doom with that Bond opening. So, I mean, even, they all did it. Even <laughs> Joe Wright made Hannah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Great job. this jovialness. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's wrap things up. Did it. Next week's show, uh, we're going to talk about either Inherent Vice or Selma or both. But, yeah, we've all... Jeez, with all with all of that in mind, all that. that's, that's going to do it for this epic episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. That's been our top ten of 2014. Yep. With all that, with all that in mind, uh, Maxwell, where can people find more of your work online? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at cinemaxwell or visit my website cinemaxwell.com. Uh, I also sometimes write for theyoungfolks.com. Mark Hoban. You can fo- find more of my work on my personal blog fastfilmreviews.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter at mark underscore Hoban. Abe? You can find reference about Walrus Moose, jobbox.com, and twitter.com slash Walrus Moose, hashtag odd Thomas, hashtag top 10. Um, I am at thecodazeek.com. That's my personal site. There's also whysoblue.com for my written movie reviews as well as the Blu-ray reviews. And I'm also on The Young Folks. I write about TV there. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. With that in mind, you can also find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes or Stitcher, as well as at hhwld.com. You can also find us over at outnow.podomatic.com, as well as soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast. You can also email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite films of the year or what you you know weren't as big of a fan of. Yeah, tell us more about your favorite films of the year over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. There's also our Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, and lastly, our voicemail line, 972-798-3830. That's where you can send us an audio recording of whatever you want, and we might play it on the show. Guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Yay! Happy to have you both on. Happy for all the listeners that stuck around for what I assume is going to be near three hours, almost longer than Boyhood. It's almost yeah, it's, like, it's almost <laughs> as long as Boyhood. Longer than longer than Interstellar. Almost <laughs> almost as long as Transformers: Age of Extinction. Still as enjoyable as Boyhood. <laughs> More enjoyable than Transformers: Age of Extinction. <laughs> um, but yeah, it you know. This kind of, this kind of wraps up our year, so you know it's always fun to do you know the podcast and whatnot. And we'll be happy to do it for this upcoming year as well. A lot of big things coming, a lot of small ones I'm sure coming as well. We saw the Oscars coming. We got a, a 200th episode coming. We got a lot of things on the way, Abe. I know. It's going to be a pretty exciting year. Yeah. So. Suck at Jordan. I, mean, I don't know. I am kidding. So we plug that in. His is like I've already edited all this.
Yeah. And, and his is at the end of it. I, I, I say, thank you, Scott. And he says, that's it. And that's where the recording cuts off. And that's, that's exactly how I'm going to put it in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we can all agree it's hard to say nice things about Steve Carell. I'm kidding. Um, the, <laughs> Professor Lyndon Johnson. Professor Lyndon Johnson, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Professor LBJ. <laughs> Professor LBJ. Yeah, I had him for Chemistry 101. Yeah. It has a score by Alexandra Desplat. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he appreciates that whenever we do it on the on the show.